Good evening. Special presentation of CFRA tonight. It's not your usual Beyond the News. Instead, we will take you live in moments to the Shaw Centre, where all four leadership contenders for the Ontario PC leadership, possibly the next Premier of Ontario, are set to begin a debate. It will be hosted by Huffington Post Althea Raj, the contenders Doug Ford, Christine Elliott, Caroline Mulroney, and Tanya Granick-Allen. I just left there a few moments ago. It is packed the Shaw Center filled with supporters from all sides, and we are listening in for the start of it. All right. They're going over the ground rules right now. This is probably, because of the position of this party, the most important leadership debate that I've covered, because the person that wins this is almost certain to become the next Premier of Ontario. We have been through a roller coaster ride over the past. What? Month. January the 24th is when the allegations of sexual misconduct against Patrick Brown were first levied. He resigned shortly after midnight. Later. Yeah, just hours later. So it was early hours of January the 25th that he resigned. Then February the 16th, after other contenders had already entered the leadership race by several weeks, Patrick Brown at the last minute entered the race. That lasted 11 days, and this past Monday, as I reported first at BrianLilly.com, he was out of the race. It became official, citing a number of reasons ranging from wanting to continue his lawsuit against CTV and Bell Media, parent company of this station, to his desire to focus on policy, claims of threats against his family, but ultimately, of course, there were also new allegations about meddling in nomination races and integrity commissioner's investigation. So Patrick Brown was out just days before the second debate. It went from five candidates down to four. In some ways, this clears the air and will put it in a different perspective tonight than if Patrick Brown had remained in the race. So tonight, we will see. Doug Ford, Christine Elliott, Caroline Mulrooney, and Tanya Granick Allen square off. Caroline Mulrooney had been quite adamant that Patrick Brown leave the race. Where will he and his supporters go? Speaking with some of them tonight, they expected that Brown would back Doug Ford, but other people that I've spoken to who were with the Patrick Brown campaign say they expect him to be backing Christine Elliott. The moderator has been introduced, Althea Raj. Let's go live to the Shaw Center now. Bureau Chief for HuffPost Canada and your moderator for this evening's debate. Avant de commencer, j'aimerais clarifier les règles du débat ce soir. The staged position, the question rotation, and the closing speaking order for tonight's debate were all determined by random draw prior to this evening. Here's the format for the debate. Questions will be put to candidates in order as determined by draw. The initial respondent will have up to two minutes to answer. This will be followed by comments from each of the other candidates for one minute. Then there will be up to three minutes of open debate. I may throw an extra question in there if one requires. The debate is scheduled to last about 90 minutes. At the end, each candidate will have up to two minutes to make a closing statement. Les questions seront posées aux candidats en ordre déterminé par un tirage. Les questions seront suivies par les observations finales de deux minutes pour chaque candidat. The questions are based on the more than 1,000 submissions received through the Ontario PC website. They were chosen by myself and debate organizers. 
There is a timer in front of the candidates, and I will try to ensure that we keep to the allotted time. For those of you here in the audience, the party asks you to please keep your applause to a minimum, as excessive applause will cut into a candidate's time. The rules for this debate also prohibit the waving of signs and banners and the use of noisemakers and other disruptions. Enfin, si vous avez un téléphone mobile, s'il vous plaît, le mettre en mode silencieux. And finally, could you kindly turn your cell phones to silent mode? Candidates, we're ready to begin. It's been an eventful few days. I'd like to start off by asking you if, one, you will run as a provincial candidate in June, regardless of what happens in this leadership race. And two, if you are chosen leader on March 10th, do you plan on signing Patrick Brown's nomination papers, allowing him to run as a PC candidate with the information you now have? Ms. Elliott, we begin with you. Bonsoir, mesdames et messieurs. Merci à tous qui ont aidé à organiser le débat ici au Ottawa. Je suis très heureux d'être avec vous ce soir. And first, to answer your question about do I intend to run, regardless of what happens in this leadership campaign, yes, I do intend to run. I uh, will run in a location that has yet to be determined, but I am going to run. As to Patrick, I have said this from the beginning of this campaign, that he deserves the right to clear his name. And if he is able to clear his name before this election campaign that ends on June 7th, yes, I would allow him to run. Well, I'm definitely going to run in Etobicoke North. Our, our family is represented at Etobicoke. My dad represented Etobicoke. My brother represented it. I represented it. My nephew represented it. We're very loyal and grateful to the people of Etobicoke. And as for Patrick Brown, I think, you know, he has to take care of a few things, first of all. And then once I'm premier or leader, we'll, we'll sit down. But... You know something, I don't know why we keep talking about Patrick Brown. I'm looking at the future of this party. I'm zoned in on Kathleen Wynne. I'm not worried about him. I'm zoned in on Kathleen Wynne. I'm zoned in on being the next Premier. Ms. Granite Gallon. Well, first off, I think I should say this, is that I'm actually disappointed Patrick Brown isn't here tonight because I was looking forward to having a real frank discussion with him. Uh, in terms of uh, whether I'm going to run, uh, I've said to Leoc uh, that yes, I will. Uh, in terms of whether Patrick Brown should be allowed to run for this party, the other candidates uh, have said it before with the Pakin debate, and I was shocked by the responses. But let me make something very clear for you. Patrick Brown does not run for me. He will not be a candidate under my leadership. I have made it very clear why. Not because of the allegations of sexual misconduct levied against him, but because of the corrupt manner in which he has run this party. And I would like these candidates here to really think long and hard about their responses and perhaps maybe revisit the responses about Patrick Brown running under them. Ms. Mulroney. Well, I am the only nominated candidate standing here today who uh, made the commitment to run for the party that uh, the... Uh, decided that uh, defeating Kathleen Wynne was something that I wanted to do before the leadership came up. Uh, so I am an MP, I am uh, standing to be a candidate in uh, the riding of York Simcoe. Um, I also said last week uh, that I called upon Patrick Brown to step aside, to take the time that he needed to clear his name and address the allegations that had come up. And I had called on my other uh, colleagues here tonight to do the same. Uh, 
Saying you've cleared your name and clearing your name are different things. I'm glad that he's taken, uh, he's taken the step to do that. Um, it's the right thing for the party. Um, and so uh, in terms of whether he can run for me, it depends on whether he's able to clear his name in time for the election. So how would the three of you, because Mr. Ford, you didn't answer the question, so I'm assuming you're in this bunch, how would you determine if Mr. Brown has cleared his name, given what we know so far? You all have three minutes to debate this. Well, first of all, you don't clear your name just because you say you clear your name. That's up to others to decide, and that would have been up to the membership to decide should Patrick have remained in this campaign. And it's up to the membership to make a determination about that for the rest of us as candidates. And the ultimate question is, who do you think is going to be able to lead this party to victory on June the 7th? I believe I'm that candidate. And as to my commitment to the party, I would remind Caroline that I have served for nine years as an MPP. I've been successfully elected four times, and I have no apologies to make for that. Uh, Let me just chime in here. This is all very nice talk, but the three of you have sat idly by while this party has, has been run into the ground by Patrick Brown and his corruptive practices. So Caroline, these are very nice words you've just said. Where were you when you signed on to the People's Guarantee? Where was your voice when Patrick Brown was engaging corruption? We had lots of evidence there, folks. And now, in light of all the new evidence that have been levied against him in this past week, you still three stand here and say you're fine with it? I would like you to say no. You're against corruption and you will not let Patrick Brown run under you. Please make this commitment for the grassroots members of this party and for the integrity of this party. Tanya, I am the only one who asked him to step aside, and I called on the three of you to do the same. You did not. Uh, And I came out yesterday talking about the the steps that we needed to take as a party to restore integrity and trust and accountability. I'm the only one here who's actually taken, done the work to start to identify the steps that we need to do in terms of making sure that our processes are transparent and fair and that we can restore integrity in the party. I'm the only one who has done that. Everyone who keeps talking about other issues, I'm the only one talking about what we need to do. Caroline, two weeks ago you said you were fine with Patrick Brown running under you if he clears his name. You were fully aware of the allegations that were levied against him then. We have even more so now. Will you commit to cleaning up our party, yes or no? Absolutely, which is what I said yesterday when I came out with the steps that I want to take to restore integrity. But let's be clear, in the last few days, a number of allegations have come forward and come up. And that is why last week I asked him to do what was right for the party and step aside. And I was the only one here who did that. And I called on the rest of you to do that. And no one else answered the call. I, so I have said, and I said publicly, that saying you cleared your name and doing that are not the same thing. But at the same time, he needs to be able to do that outside of the context of this leadership race, which is what he has, what he, uh, he's done, he's taken the first step, and that now it's up to him to do that. And yet, even still, even if he clears his name on those allegations of sexual misconduct, for which I'm not, I'm not interested in discussing here, with all the allegations of corruption, you are still okay to have him run on your team? I, he needs to take the steps that he needs to to clear his name. What about the corruption? Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you for that. We're going to move on to another topic. Um, the four of you have said that you plan to fight the federally imposed carbon tax and repeal Ontario's cap-and-trade system. Do you believe climate change is caused by human activity? And if you do, what specifically do you plan to do to cut greenhouse gas emissions? This question comes from David in Don Valley East, and Ms. Milroney will begin with you. Thank you, David. Um, 
The carbon tax uh, that, uh, that was part of the People's Guarantee was uh, something that evolved as a result of the grassroots uh, process. Uh, I have said since I started my leadership bid that I oppose the carbon tax. Uh, we don't need any new tax hikes on the hardworking people of Ontario and I stand behind that and as Premier I will oppose Justin Trudeau's carbon tax. Climate change is, I believe, man-made, uh, and we need to do what we can to conserve and preserve our environment. And conservation and preservation are conservative principles. The Liberals do not have a monopoly on that. And what we need to do is we need to take the right steps. Uh, the, uh, the carbon tax at $50 a tonne does not get us where we need to do to actually change people's behaviour. All it does is it, it adds a burden already to the hard-working, uh, to the already high tax burden of hard-working Ontarians. So that is why I've opposed the carbon tax. We can go forward and preserve our environment and do what we can to take the steps uh, to preserve that without adding to the burden. Seeing as you have 43 minutes left on the clock, can you tell us what you would do specifically? Yes, I'm going to work, well, we will work pro, uh, proactively with businesses uh, and industry to, to work with them to take the steps that need, they, we need to to, res, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, we will work on uh, developing technology with uh, environmental innovators to make sure that we can take uh, the necessary steps, real steps, towards making changes. Uh, and there are a lot of conservation methods like preserving our parks that we can do. Ms. Elliott. Yes, I do believe that uh, climate change is largely caused by human activity, but I also believe that we don't have to tax people anymore in order to deal with it. We don't need to bring a carbon tax forward. People have been telling us across the province that they are barely able to get by between paying their hydro bills and trying to f put food on the, on the table. So there's lots of other things that we can do. First of all, I would say to Justin Trudeau, you don't tell us what to do here in Ontario, that we can develop our own solutions. And so I would want to join with Jason Kenney in Alberta, with Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, and with Andrew Shear, our federal leader, to say, stop, we will decide what's best for Ontario. You don't get to tell us. But we can also be environmentally responsible without imposing a tax. What I would propose that we do is work with our green energy technology, work with businesses across the province, perhaps give them some incentives to reduce their, their greenhouse gas emissions, and then work internationally as well, because we know that they're opening a new coal-fired plant like once a week in China. So it's not just what we can do in Ontario or Canada, it's what we can help to do internationally as well. Thank so that's what I would propose to do. Mr. Ford. Well, I'm glad my opponents agreed with me when I first brought it out. Because I can tell you right now, my friends, if Doug Ford didn't come out on the last debate and bring them along kicking and screaming about the carbon tax, they'd still have a carbon tax. Very simple. The carbon tax is a terrible tax. It's a terrible tax for the people of this province. It's a job killer, absolute job killer to companies around Ontario, right across this country. We're trying to compete worldwide with our hands tied behind our back. Right now, we have a company closing called Campbell Soup down in, down in Etobicoke, 100 years. 100 years they've been in business. And when we had a talk to the people at Campbell Soup, 
Do you know what they said? They said, how can we compete when you have the highest hydro rates in North America, highest property taxes, highest water rates, and then you try to burden us with a carbon tax? That's unacceptable. We're looking at south of the thank border. You, thank you, Mr. Ford. I'm sorry, you're out of time. Mrs. Granick Allen, I'll remind you, the question is, do you believe climate change is man-made? And if so, what do you plan to do about it? So thank you for that reminder. Um, I do believe climate change exists. Obviously, new uh, measurements and new methods of research are coming across all the time that actually measure the amount of contribution th that man does contribute to climate change. So that's still being measured. Uh, with respect to the carbon tax, as you asked, I did not develop my position because I joined the race for leader for Ontario PC party. I knew right from my gut, the moment I heard Patrick Brown develop that policy in his own way, because he did not consult with the grassroots members of this party to come up with policy, he did not. I knew, unlike these three candidates, that it was wrong. It was wrong to bring in that policy, and I will fight it tooth and nail. And trust me when I say that, I will. We're gonna stand with our cousins in Ottawa, with Andrew Scheer and our conservatives, and back them up for once and say, no, Justin Trudeau, your carbon tax is not welcome here. And I will fight it in court as necessary because I have the grounds to do so. And if Justin Trudeau somehow still forces me, I will take the existing gas tax, change its name to carbon, and that will be the carbon tax. But no new taxes, no increase in taxes. Thank you. So what would the four of you do if the Prime Minister decides to impose a tax in Ontario and just rebate Ontarians directly? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd take him to the Supreme Court, along with our friend Jason Kenney, Premier Moe, and any other Premier. Again, this is a job killer. This is bad for the people. That, he just doesn't get it. Do you know why he doesn't get it? He's never run a business. He's never worked in a factory. He's never had to meet a payroll or look at a P&L statement. So what he's doing is making sure that every company in, in the country is an unfair playing field. We're trying to compete against the Americans. You see what's happening down in the U.S.? Lowest unemployment. Lowest unemployment in 20 years. Trillions of dollars are coming back into the country. Manufacturing jobs are coming back. And you look at Ontario, we lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs. And when you come up here, you've got to go through the red tape, bureaucracy, carbon tax, every tax you can possibly think. How do we attract businesses? When I'm Premier, I'm going to make sure we go down to the border, big sign, neon sign, Ontario is open for business. We're going to make this the most prosperous region anywhere in North America. I'm going to give businesses incentives and cut taxes, make sure they create jobs. Not a job killer. That's a job killer, a carbon tax. I would also question the constitutionality of the legislation and the rules that Justin Trudeau is bringing forward. We can't stand for that in Ontario. We need to stand up for Ontario and our rights. They can't move into what is properly Ontario's territory. And I also want to say that I have been opposed to a carbon tax since I was first elected in 2006. So this has been a long-standing issue for me. I have never stood in favor of a carbon tax for many, many years, long before this leadership campaign. Althea, the rule 
And the job of the Premier of Ontario is to represent the people of Ontario. And just because Justin Trudeau and the federal Liberals have decided that this is the way they want to proceed does not mean that we have to take it. And so we need to do, the Premier needs to do everything she can do to oppose that. And so that means looking at all options that, that are available to us, all legal options. We can occupy the field by making sure that we can prove that we can meet those standards that they're asking for. But regardless of whether we do or not, it is the job of the Premier of Ontario to make sure that we do what's right. And that means no carbon tax, no new taxes. Again, again, all very good words, uh, and I'm glad we've all evolved our positions. But Christine, where were you when Patrick Brown was trampling on the grassroots through our, our policy process, when he just came up with this policy on his own? Why didn't you speak out then? We need strong voices, strong voices if we're going to take down the win liberals. After all this year of corruption, of everything these liberals have done to our economy, we need to bolster our economy and we need to have a strong voice to do so. So please, let's stand strong. Let's trust, go with a trusted voice who has been outspoken on these issues, who's consulted with the grassroots, who doesn't trample on the grassroots of our own party. Okay. <laughs> Next question, similar vein. Many party members wrote in with a version of this question, including Norma from Ottawa Orleans and a young progressive conservative named Jordan from Burlington who worries about Ontario's massive debt and the cost of servicing that debt forecast to be more than $12 billion this year. Okay, here's the question. If you get rid of cap and trade and the federal carbon tax revenue, which you've all pledged to do and repeated here, you have $8.7 billion less to spend. Your budget plans, including any promises to balance the budget quickly, require active cuts over a sustained period of time. The Wynn Liberals did two big things they didn't campaign on. They brought in cap and trade and they sold off parts of Hydro One. You've all said you plan to do a value for money audit to find waste. Give me two specific examples of areas where you'd look to cut. And we begin with Mrs. Granigallon. Thank you. So let's just be very clear here in Ontario. We don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. So we don't need to tax Ontarians anymore. We just need to manage our budget properly. I will balance our budget and here's where we're going to work. We're going to prioritize our spending. We know the main basics that Ontario, Ontarians require and want us to fund. Infrastructure, health care, those are funding priorities. We don't need to fund all these special interest small programs that actually do cost quite a bit. So my platform, as I said, doesn't include any new taxes or any raise in taxes. Uh, we don't need to be burdened by these things. So one specific example, and I mentioned this last week, is are you aware that we give $14,000 to uh, people who buy $140,000 Teslas, that's a ridiculous, that's a ridiculous uh, uh, rebate to be giving Ontarians. We do not need to be paying for these boutique tax cuts. We also have to understand that we have a problem with corporate welfare, and it's important that we reduce that and eliminate that. So giving away money to companies is not something I'm interested in. I'm interested in making sure Ontarians can keep as much money in their wallets as possible. Could you give us an example, or maybe two, of some of those uh, business subsidies that you would look to trim? Well, the one I mentioned, obviously, was uh, the personal one, was the Tesla one. That's one example. Uh, and I mentioned debt reduction is important, so we can reduce how much interest we pay. Right now, we're paying approximately $12 billion on interest, so we need to pay that off as soon as possible, so that way we won't be required to pay as much servicing that debt. But with respect, $14,000 on 
uh, Tesla tax credits is not going to help solve sure. billions of dollars? There are a lot of climate change subsidies we can go through. There are a lot of climate change subsidies. So I would uh, be interested in reviewing those and repealing as many as possible. Ms. Mulroney. Well, Althea, I, uh, the reason I'm running is because uh, Kathleen Wynne was mortgaging my children's future, and I needed to do something about it. Uh, politicians have to remember that they're spending your money, not theirs. And that's what the Liberals have created a culture of waste over the last 15 years, and it's time for it to stop. Uh, the, Kathleen Wynne has been fighting against the provincial auditor for years instead of working with her to find ways to reduce waste. And uh, from Canada goose jackets to car washes on the smaller side to billions of dollars in corporate welfare without requiring the jobs stay and the investments stay in Ontario. Uh, most recently, and this is something that uh, was just shocking, was that uh, the government was spending millions of dollars, doubled their advertising budget. Um, and, uh, and most of the money was going to, to liberal friends and insiders. So this culture of waste and spending needs to stop. We can do better, and that's why, uh, that's why a PC government needs to come into place, because that's what Ontario taxpayers expect us to do. One of the reasons why I entered this leadership campaign was because of the huge debt that this government is carrying and keeps adding to it with really no care about the effect it's going to have on our children and grandchildren. At $311 billion right now and growing by the day, $12 billion a year in payments. It's the third largest expenditure after health care and education. What it means is that our children and grandchildren are not going to have the same standard of living that we have. They're not going to be able to buy their own homes. And I think it's irresponsible to continue to accumulate debt like that. The Wynn Liberals like to say that they're fair, they're being even-handed and so on. But there's nothing even-handed about leaving that debt to our, to our children. So I think two of the areas you asked us to point out where we would deal with cutting waste and finding savings. Green Energy Act, I would start with that. We would repeal the Green Energy Act, stop these multi-million dollar FIC contracts for value way over the price of the power and what it's worth, and the fact that we're having to pay other jurisdictions to take power off our hands. That would be a great place to start. That could find us a lot of savings. You are listening to live special coverage of the Ontario PC leadership debate on News Talk 580 CFRA. I've actually done it. I was down at City Hall, the fifth largest budget in the country. We saved over a billion dollars to the taxpayers on a $12 billion overall budget. I know how to go through the budget line item by line item. I was on the budget committee longer than any other councillor at the city. And I'll answer your question about how we're going to save money. Do you know that we're, we're actually paying California for credits $469 million? of your hard-earned tax dollars? $469 million were given to Quebec, but majority to California. That is done. The party's over with the taxpayers' money. We're going to start holding people accountable. We'll go line item by line item in every single ministry. We'll start driving efficiencies, finding efficiencies, and we're going to save billions of dollars. I asked my, my friends out there watching tonight, we have a $141 billion budget. Do you think we can find four cents on the dollar in the government and $141 billion? I've been across the province sorry, and every Ford, place I've gone, you're they break out time. laughing you and can, they say we should be able to save more. You can talk more in the open debate part. I'm Thank sorry. You. 
just to make it fair for everybody else. Um, let me kick it off. Uh, in the last election, uh, the PC party campaigned to cut 100,000 public sector jobs. So it's one thing to say you're going to cut waste, but if you're honest with Ontarians, how, when, where... I didn't, I didn't hear the first part. In the last election, yeah. the Ontario PC party campaigned on yeah. cutting 100,000 public sector jobs. That's right. So to those people at home who are wondering what you would cut when you do your value for, well, value for money audit, what are some of these examples that you would get? Well, you know, so I'll, I'll answer that question because when we saved a billion dollars, we, not one single person lost their job. Not one single person lost their job. So what we are going to do, we're going to do best practices. We're going to have lean systems. I don't think the government even understands Lean Six Sigma. We practice Lean Six Sigma at our company. We're going to make sure we drive efficiencies through technology, through best practices, through lean systems. And you ask any black belt in Lean Six Sigma, if they can find 4% on the government, they'll laugh at you. They will absolutely laugh at you. There's so much waste in all departments. You can sneeze and find billions of dollars at the province. <laughs> absolutely sneeze. You know, the party with the taxpayers' money is over. They can pack their loot bags up and they're all going because we're going to sanitize <laughs> Queen's Park from top to bottom. Queen's Park is politically corrupt from top to bottom. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad Doug wants to sanitize Queen's Park, but we really need to get rid of all the damage that the McGinty wind liberals have done. And I'm going to give you a concrete example. You want another example? Here's one. Wind turbines. I pledge that if I'm leader, I'm going to take those wind turbines and I'm going to rip them right out of the ground. And here's why. Because families in Ontario are burdened by the cost of we're, that we're giving to these companies who generate electricity we don't need, that we sell at a loss to Americans, our friends south of the border. That's, right. That's ridiculous. So those wind turbines will be gone. And we have it within our purview to do so, and I'll make sure that we set the parameters properly because we have the constitutional ability to do so. So those wind turbines, gone. With all due respect to you, Doug, it's not as simple as saying you're going to save four cents or six cents or whatever it is on the dollar. What you need to do is spend the time and go through line by line by line to do a value for money audit. And the value, I think taxpayers of Ontario would expect that if there is no value in those programs, and I expect we could find a lot, then we should get rid of them and use them for the programs that we have in our platform. But it's not just a simple thing of saying to the various ministries, go find four cents or six cents on the dollar. What you need to do is roll up your sleeves and do the job yourself. As to Tanya, you can't just rip rim turbines out of the ground. There are a lot of people who have negotiated their own contracts. They've negotiated huge loans with the bank. They have contracts that they expect are going to be honored. We can't do that. We can go through the big contracts that are there and try and find ways if we can terminate them early. But we cannot rip up contracts. Yes, How are we, we ever can. going to get people to invest in Ontario if we don't respect contracts? Christine, no you're a lawyer. Can come here. You're a lawyer. I am a lawyer, and I know I we can't, can't do that. No, no, you're a lawyer. We can pay out we can, for those rural, uh, loan, uh, the rural landowners who own those... 
those, the land in which we, they're leasing it, we can pay them, fine, we'll pay them to the end of their contracts, but not to the corporations who are taking Ontarians' hard-earned tax dollars, who are taking their money from families who don't have enough money to put food on their table, that are jacking our hydro rates to subsidize power going to Americans. That I'm is sorry, not true. You're, you're suggesting we should just rip I, up contracts. Now. I'm going to rip the wind turbines no out of the ground. They're going to come okay. to Ontario. That's what you say. That's what you say. Nobody will come to Ontario. Uh, we're going to move on to health care. As you know, the healthcare sector faces a lot of pressure from an aging population. It is the largest part of the provincial budget. This question is from a registered nurse named Natalia in Mississauga Centre. What is the first issue in healthcare that you would address? And Greg and Pembroke would like to know where would you get the money to do so, and would you support a raise or a freeze to wages? Mr. Ford, we begin with you. Well, I'm glad you talked about the healthcare system. I call it hallway healthcare. As I've said, across the province, when I've been crisscrossing the province, my mother got wheeled into the hospital a few weeks ago, and she, she was in the hallways, stacked up like the cars on the 401. I had, I had a conversation with the EMS people, I had a conversation with the nurses and the doctors, and they told me a very simple story. They aren't being listened to. They are not being listened to. They're under full attack by this Liberal government. Well, I have a message. I have a message, a clear message for the doctors and nurses. Help is on its way. We're going to make sure resources will be on its way, and we're going to listen. We're going to have to use technology similar to Humber River Hospital, the first digital hospital in North America, the shortest wait times, and the shortest wait times in a quick hospital in Ontario is four hours. That's unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable. Our budget for healthcare is 38.7% of the overall budget. It's roughly $51.8 million. And when I talk to the, the doctors, they're doing a great job, and I have a soft spot for nurses. They're telling me, they're telling me, listen to us. We understand how to find efficiencies. It's not always about throwing money at a problem, because money doesn't solve problems all the time, as much as a lot of politicians think it is. It doesn't. You've got to listen to the frontline people. That's how you find savings. You listen to the nurses. You listen to the doctors. It's very simple. Making sure that you listen to the frontline workers will find efficiencies and will deliver better service. So is wait time your number one issue? That's the one thing? I think it's address? absolutely huge. We live in Ontario. EMS can't keep up. So what's happened? The EMS people are coming in. They're staying with the patients. We need nurses to take over from the EMS people to get them back on the road. They couldn't keep up. The demand is overwhelming. But we can, that's one example of running things more efficiently. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Granick-Allen. While I was raised in Toronto, I now have the unique um, privilege of, 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 among these candidates, of living in a rural community in Ontario. So I understand intimately what it's like to not have a GP that you could in, in your local area. What it's like to have to commute maybe 45 minutes, almost two hours sometimes, just to see a specialist. And I appreciate that. So I think we need to ask ourselves, how are we delivering health care to people who need it most? I don't believe that we should cut health care funding. I know it's approximately half of our budget goes to health care, and we only know that figure is going to grow because we have an aging population. But I believe we need to give services to Ontarians when they need it most, and healthcare is one of those services that we know 
Ontarians expect us to deliver. So I think we need to look at, yes, like Doug said, improving wait times uh, 100%. Are there efficiencies to, made, to be made? Yes. Are, is there ways that we can uh, find out more funding? Yes. For example, I would uh, renegotiate uh, the drug prices with pharma companies. Why are they gouging us? That's not right. And, and most importantly, we need to make sure those in rural communities are accessing health care when they need it. Thank you. Ms. Mulroney. Althea, I think all of us here have sat a long time in a waiting room or waited a long time for surgery or an MRI. There are significant deficits in our health care system. And it would be, I think, impossible to pick one thing that we need to do. There are so many things that we need to address. But what we need to do is we need to work with our doctors and our nurses and our frontline workers to work with them to start addressing the chronic overcapacity problem that we have, to start reducing wait times and make sure we're produ we, are, we are providing adequate emergency room care. We also need to invest in, our, in the rest of our healthcare system, our long-term care. Uh, we need to have enough beds to take the pressure off our, our hospitals today. Uh, we are spending, uh, there are people who are in beds today that need to be moved to rehab facilities or long-term care, and they're putting pressure on our hospitals now. So we need to look at the entire system and make investments and make changes along the way, but we really need to work with our frontline workers to do that, create long, new long-term care beds and invest in technology to make sure that we're taking pressure off our system. Thank you. Ms. Elliott. Well, thanks, Cynthia. I've had the great privilege of working for the last two years as Ontario's first patient ombudsman working exclusively in the area of healthcare. And though we are putting a lot of money into healthcare, study after international study indicates that we aren't getting the best value for the money that we're putting in. So where we are moving is transitioning from a system of healthcare that's primarily provider-centered to one that's truly patient-centered. So we need to listen to what patients actually want, what they want to have delivered, and in, have patients involved in every aspect of the organization's operations. So for a hospital, for example, you would have patients involved on the Human Resources Committee, the Operations Committee, Finance Committee, and have them have an input into every aspect of the hospital's organization and then feed that through to quality improvement. But we also need to listen to the providers, to the physicians and the nurses. They have great ideas because they know what the problems are. But long-term care continues to be a major issue. I heard about that every day in my previous job. I would start with that to make sure our frail elderly seniors have a clean, safe, comfortable place to live. Are there ideas like eliminating fee-for-service, things that you would consider? And I open it up to debate. I think what we really need to do is continue to improve on our, our single service, our universal access to, um, to services for all Ontarians so that everyone has the opportunity to receive excellent quality health care services. So what I would want to do is concentrate on improving our system. There are big gaps. The service in the north is very difficult to access because of the geographic distribution. Long-term care and home care is very hard to find. The same thing happens in many rural parts of Ontario. What we really need to do is strengthen our existing system. That's what I would want to work on. Um, yeah. when, I was, when I was in Peterborough last week talking to a lot of people, there's 7,000 residents in Peterborough that don't have a physician. And I'm sure that's across the rural areas. We're going to give doctors incentives to go to rural areas. If I have to go and build them a little medical building and give them a tax break to move in a rural area to serve the people up there, 
that's what we're going to do. Because it's unacceptable in Ontario, Peterborough, a little over an hour from Toronto, there's 7,000 people without a physician. That's unacceptable. So we're going to make sure we provide services for the people in the north that aren't getting the services. So I am one of those people two hours from Toronto, and I understand firsthand about the, the services or the lack thereof, and we need to meet uh, the patient's needs where they are. One other area that we have to discuss, though, is we need to be attracting doctors to Ontario and healthcare workers and nurses. And how are we doing that if the Wynn government is trampling on the conscience rights of healthcare workers? We need to protect... We need to protect the freedom of conscience, especially amongst the first frontline delivery of healthcare workers. So this is something that's very important and very dear to me. And I think if we have uh, respect for conscience rights for doctors, then we will increase uh, the attraction for doctors and nurses and, and personal support workers to come to Ontario. We have hundreds of thousands of new people in Ontario and we don't have enough doctors to take care of them. And instead of working with doctors and nurses, this government, this liberal government, has been fighting with them. Doctors are running campaigns to market themselves as the good healthcare providers that they are. We need to be encouraging our doctors to stay in the communities that they, that they love, where they're serving smaller rural areas. We need to work with them cooperatively so that we can make sure that we are taking pressure off our emergency rooms and our, our weight rooms. Uh, they are the ones that are providing care to all of us and instead of fighting with them we need to be working with them I would, certainly, I would certainly respect the conscience rights of physicians as well as healthcare organizations hospitals and palliative care facilities that don't want to provide medical assistance in dying for example I respect their rights to make their own decisions about that but I also am um, really disturbed by the Wynn government's insistence on picking a fight with doctors. I don't know why they're doing that. If you want to create a patient-centered system, you need to have everybody that provides care involved in that conversation. Uh, this question is from Daryl in Muskoka. How would a PC government you lead deal with exorbitant hydro rates? Ms. Elliott, we begin with you. It's hard to know where to start with that one because we absolutely need to. We know that people are really struggling with hydro rates. They've tripled uh, for the average residential consumer since the Liberals took power in 2003. And a lot of people are finding it really hard to cope, particularly in northern areas. So what we need to do, first of all, is start with the Green Energy Act. We would repeal that. We would give local municipalities the power to decide whether they want to have wind turbines in their age areas or not. We would also end these huge multi-million dollar contracts to supply wind power at a value far higher than the value of the power. We need to take a look at the executive's compensation. The chief executive at OPG is making over $4 million a year, while the counterpart in Quebec is about 500000 There's something wrong with that equation, and that needs to change. And we also need to take a look at removing things from residential consumers' bills that don't need to be there, things like the conservation program cost and so on. We, finally, we also need to look at the dividends that are coming back from the sale of the Hydro One shares and apply all of those dividends to reduce consumers' contracts to, as well. So there's a lot of things we can do. We have pledged to reduce hydro rates by 12%, but I think we need to do a lot more than that because people are really suffering out there. Mr. Ford. Well, the, the Green Energy Act is just a scam in my opinion. 
Absolute scam. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you look at, I was, I'll give you an example, my friends, I was up at Bella, up in Bella. They're trying to make uh, uh, the falls, right? They're, they're turning that into a little, little hydro plant. And they aren't even going to be using the hydro. It's going to be going basically in the garbage. So what I, what I see is you have all these bankers and all the investment companies making billions of dollars, for instance, charging 90 cents for a product when it should be 10 cents, lining their pockets. As I was talking to an energy critic, he's saying, Doug, you're in the printing industry. Wouldn't you love to have a monopoly, charge what you want, and throw your printing in the garbage after? That's what's happening. It's not millions of dollars. It's billions of dollars. It's an absolute scam that they're doing. That's done. That is absolutely done. And as for other energy policies, I, I wanted to mention about my cap and trade policy. My cap and trade policy I'm sorry, is very Mr. simple. Mr. Ford, you are Can out I of time. finish the cap and trade? I'm sorry. I'm gonna, we I'm we know you're opposed to it. I'm going to cap taxes Mr. and Ford. trade Kathleen Wynne. Yes. That's my, that's my uh, cap and trade policy. Mrs. Granigal. Thanks for giving time to get that zinger in. It was a good one. <laughs> Regarding hydro rates, we know they've doubled under the McGinty Wind Liberals. It's been a disaster. Families are burdened. They can no longer afford it. So getting back to what Christine and I were ch chatting about a few minutes ago, we're going to get rid of the wind turbines. We're going to rip them up. And Christine, I'm going to explain to you how. We have Ontario has legislative supremacy. We have it within our jurisdiction and our powers to actually cancel those contracts. And while you may favor giving money to corporations and burdening Ontarians with those taxes, with those high hydro rates, I actually do not. And if you don't believe me uh, with my research, then go speak to Professor Party at Queen's University who wrote a detailed report for the Fraser Institute on how we are permitted to cancel that contract. And guess what, in the rural county, we pay more. When you're on a farm, you pay more because you need electricity to heat your barn or to, to put lights on in all your outbuildings. We have high hydro rates. We simply cannot afford it. When turbines are getting ripped out, we're done with that. Thank you very much. Ms. Malone. Well, of all the things that the Liberals have done to harm the province of Ontario, the mess that they've made of our electricity system ranks at the top. Uh, and I don't, we don't need to talk about uh, the, the fact that they've tripled. Everyone knows that. Every, every time you open your hydro bill, you know what they've done. Uh, it is uh, a burden on homeowners. It's a burden on families. And it's a burden on businesses that are chasing our businesses away. So the, I have a plan, which is to lower electricity rates by 12% for homeowners to scrap the Ener Green Energy Act and to start looking at getting out of these expensive contracts where we can do so. We were able to get out of the Samsung deal. It cost us $5 billion and the Liberals decided to stay in it because, uh, I don't know why, but they decided to stay in it and, uh, and they had the option to cancel it when they, uh, when they tripped a clause. And so uh, it, make, it can make financial sense to do so. We need to do that. Um, we need to get politics out of energy policy. Uh, we need to do what's right and, 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 and fix this mess. So do you all agree then, and I'm going to throw another question here from another party member, which is would any of you consider buying back a majority share in Hydro One? 
I think we've had. An, I think we've. I think the people of Ontario are tired of government playing politics with this. I think that uh, we're just going to focus on trying to. Uh, we're going to make get hydro bills under control for ratepayers and look at how we can fix the structural mess that they've made with these long-term contracts. Uh, the sale of Hydro One is something that they've bungled, but it's not something that I would touch at this time. I think what's done is mostly done, although it might be worthwhile trying to get back a controlling interest. I think that would be helpful. But I would also like to just respond to what Tanya said earlier about cancelling all of these contracts. We may have a legitimate reason to do so legally, but why would we do that? Because it would cost us a fortune to get out of those contracts and it would send a very bad message to any other businesses that are looking to locate in Ontario if we can, at the whim of a government, just rip up a contract. We need to make sure that Ontario is seen as a good place to do business, and we cannot do that by ripping up contracts. But what I would say we should do is we should take a look at all of those big contracts and see if there are any legitimate legal reasons where we could either terminate them or if they are to be advancing in various stages not to proceed with the next stage. We need to do that work. We need to find whatever savings we can for Ontario taxpayers. I'd like to speak to that, please. Um, Christine, you asked me why I would do it, because Ontario families need it. We cannot afford this. Just because Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGuinty came up with this crazy scheme doesn't mean that us as Ontario PC party members have to buy into it. So it says no. And regarding the legislative supremacy we have, guess what? Within that clause, we get to actually determine any compensation to these companies, if any. So we get to decide. And I think that we need to stop this. We need to stop this right now and put Ontarians and the grassroots conservatives first. And I don't, hear, I don't like the talk I'm hearing here. I don't like it. Families need relief. It doesn't matter what you like or not, Tanya. The fact remains that if we rip up these contracts, we're going to have to pay a lot in damages, which may be worth more than the contracts are actually worth, them, worth themselves. So I think you have to think a little bit more seriously about this before I we have. hopefully agree to rip up contracts. Read the Fraser Institute report. It outlines it very lovely by a law professor named Professor Party. There are no easy solutions to this. It took years to get us into this mess, and we're going to have to look at all of these contracts. Some contracts are in early, in early pre in early precondition modes where you can actually get out of them. We've got to look at each one to see if we can get out of them. And there are other major ones that we have to look at to see if the risk of getting out of them exceeds the, uh, the benefit of getting out of it. But we need to do that. Ontarians deserve it, but we cannot suggest that it's going to be easy because people are tired of that. There are no easy solutions to the mess that the Liberals have created for us. Thank you. Many party members wrote in with a version of this next question. There seems to be a growing movement to eliminate the Catholic school boards in French and English and move towards a singular secular school system in both official languages. Is this something you would consider doing as a way of cutting costs? Ms. Mulroney, we'll begin with you. I am, no, I'm, my, I do not plan on, on looking at, at the school board uh, issue. Um, it's been, it has worked well. It is uh, constitutionally mandated. Uh, and at this time, I would not uh, proceed in that. What we do need to do is encourage 
uh, that allow independent schools to grow. Uh, we need to make sure that we are funding uh, Franco, Fran uh, the Franco uh, Francophone languages, Franco Francophone schools in this province, and doing what they need uh, to ensure that the language flourishes and that they are being taught in the language that they wish. Uh, but in terms of the Catholic School Board, I would not intend to do that. Ms. Elliott? My simple answer is no, I would not make any move in that respect, although I think that where there are things that we can do to reduce some of the costs in having the two boards, uh, having joint busing, for example, perhaps some administrative services, but that would be as far as I would want to go. I remember very clearly running in the 2007 election uh, where that was a, a major issue that we heard very clearly from the people of Ontario that they don't want us to change what's already there. No, no, I wouldn't, but there's a lot of savings within the school board. You look years ago, does everyone remember when Kathleen Wynne was down there and she bankrupted the Toronto School Board and the province had to come in and pick up the pieces? Yeah, have you ever went down Highway 10 where there's the, the Peel public system and then the separate system, two Taj Mahals right beside each other? Why can't they have one Taj Mahal instead of two Taj Mahals? Or no Taj Mahal? That's what I'm asking you. The answer is no. I wouldn't change it, but I'd sure drive efficiencies. When I'm Premier, these guys are going to wake up real quick. Real quick, I'll tell you. Okay, Ms. Granick-Allen. Thank you. Um, the number one reason, uh, or the number one factor we need to consider any time we think of education is what do the parents want? We need to always factor in parental choice. So right now, parents do enjoy the choice of sending their child to a Catholic or English or Francophone school in both those, uh, those options. And, and by all means, and as long as parents, we need to think about how can we expand parental choice in education? How can we offer more options to, to, to parents so that their child's needs are being met? And I can tell you how one way where we did not offer options to parents is with the sexual education. There, I said it. And Patrick Brown, and Patrick Brown, also trampled on parental rights by not, offering, uh, by not offering choice to parents in sexual education. And I know some of my, candidate, my fellow candidates have evolved the position, so I'd like to ask you right now, Christine, um, I know you said you were looking to review perhaps the, the, the Kathleen Wynne sex ed. Uh, would you be open to giving parental rights, uh, parents notification in advance of those, uh, of those lessons so that they have the option to withdraw their children? Would you be committing to that? So All right, then I'll get right into it. I think I've said my position has been the same uh, for several years, which is that parents were not consulted by the Kathleen Wynne government before they brought in these sex education guidelines. I want to open up the, uh, the guidelines, speak to parents across the province to understand what their concerns are and make changes where changes are necessary based on the parents' rights. Parents know what their children should learn and when, and mostly what I've heard about so far is the age appropriateness of some of the things that children are learning. Perhaps they're learning certain things in grades two or three that they maybe shouldn't learn until high school. The other thing that I've heard from a lot of people is that their guidelines, it's not a set curriculum, and that individual teachers are interpreting the guidelines and teaching things according to their view of the world. It should not be that. It should be the parents instructing them as to what children should learn and when we need to make the changes and we need to listen to parents. Thank you very much. Thank you. And regarding that, just one follow-up. So regarding the when, parents can't know when unless they get advance notification for those lessons. So would you or anybody else on the stage, would you commit to giving advance notice of when these contentious materials will be discussed so that parents can exercise that choice that you so eloquently spoke of? 
Well, if I could just finish the answer then, yes, of course I would. They, people used to be able to do that. If they can't now, absolutely they should know when these things are being taught and they should have the right for their child not to be in that class if they don't want them Thank to Thank you. To I applaud Christine. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, Christine, we've, we've known each other for a long time. And as I've been traveling around, people want to know which Christine they're going to get. Are they going to get... Are they going to get the Christine that was for sex ed? Or are they going to get the Christine that's against sex ed? Are they going to get the Christine that was maybe for the carbon tax? Or are they going to get the Christine that's maybe against the carbon tax? Or are they going to get the Christine that wants to replace Kathleen Wynne? Or are we going to get the Christine that took a $220,000 job, a political appointment, from Kathleen Wynne? Which one is it? I'm very clear, Tanya, that I, uh, I would not reopen the sex ed curriculum. Um, my, turns out my children learned more about sex from the TVO debate than they have in school. Then clearly you have read but the But I will be clear that although we may not agree on every issue, you will know where I stand. And I understand that you've been disappointed and feel betrayed by other leaders, leaders in the party and also leadership contenders who have changed their views. You will always know where I stand on these issues. So if I may, I'd like to respond to Doug's comments um, on a couple of points. Uh, first of all, Doug, I have always had the same position on sex education. I said the same thing in 2015. I absolutely did. I'm Don't make up stories, Doug. Come on. I, you can check my record. My record says that I had the same view in 2015 as I have now. On the issue of carbon tax, I've been against carbon tax, as I said earlier, since I was elected in 2006. On the issue of my job as patient ombudsman, I want everybody here to know that I was chosen for this job out of an independent panel of people not associated with the government. And I was given that job over several hundred people. I am very proud to have served as patient ombudsman, and I don't have anything to apologize to you for. Did you, did you not get a call? Did you, did you not get a call from the Minister of Health? Did you not get a call from the Minister of Health regarding your job? The decision for me to become the patient ombudsman was made by an independent panel of people. You may have heard some of them have responded on Twitter and other me mechanisms. I was chosen by an independent group who recommended several candidates to the, the minister. minister. The minister called me to tell Thank me what the, what the panel had chosen, not the minister, okay. just to be clear. Insider. Thank you very much. Insider. I, I think not done. Uh, Ontario's economy has generally posted impressive job growth numbers, except for last month. The vast majority of jobs, though, are being created in Toronto and in the GTA. This question comes from Jack in Nipissing. What would you do to encourage job growth in areas outside the GTA, especially youth employment opportunities, to prevent the hollowing out of rural areas and smaller communities? Mrs. Granagallon, we begin with you. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, um, Ontario is and hopefully will continue to be the economic engine of this country, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, despite all the, um, the attacks Kathleen Wynne and the McGuinty Liberals have thrown at our economy, it is still somewhat robust. We need to stop throwing things at our economy. We need to stop 
sorry, we need to stop hampering our economy by throwing things at it, by trying to slow it down with high hydro rates. That's why I said we're going to take the windmills down, because we need to bring those rates down so that we can say we're open for business in Ontario, that businesses can come back. When they see the high hydro rates or the cost of doing business in Ontario, they get scared. When we bring jobs back, that will encourage more investment in this province. And, and most importantly, though, you know, I'm not into making policy on the fly. I'm into consulting with the grassroots members of our party, which for some reason the last three years is a novel idea. So we need to bring back local democracy and ask people in the rural communities. I'm not going to stay here and I know what Sudbury needs or what Eastern Ontario needs. We're going to consult with the local members of provincial parliament, consult with the local municipalities, and ask them, how can we best invest in your community so that we bring jobs back? We're going to listen to the grassroots. I'll tell you what we won't do, though, and this is a pivot. What we won't do is we're not going to be uh, handpicking and bullying candidates out of running in nomination races to be our candidates. We're going to get authentic candidates. Because as Ontario PC Party members, we believe in open, public, fair, and democratic nominations. So, so let me talk about this. We're going to reopen the nominations that have been contentious. I'm saying that right now. We cannot stand here, and a lot of them have been in the rural areas where we need honest input for what those local areas do need. Uh, so we're going to open that up. We're going to open up those nominations, and I hope that my colleagues here on the stage uh, will, will encourage to do so as well. Thank you, Ms. Mulroney. I remind you the question is about how to bring employment opportunities to rural and smaller communities. Well, thank you. I. Uh, I have met, uh, as I've been traveling the province through this, during this race, I have met business owners across Ontario. And most recently I was in northern Ontario. And I can tell you that all they want is to be listened to. Each region is distinct and has their own challenges. But the people who live there love their communities and want to continue to live there and work there. What we need to do is make sure that we have a leader who understands how to work with businesses. What we've had for the last 15 years is a government who has been fighting businesses, whether it's through increasing taxes and fees, uh, increasing hydro rates, increasing, doubling red tape. I mean, it, it does not stop. And businesses feel like they can no longer do what they got, got started to do, which is, is get into business and create uh, economic opportunity. I will attract jobs into Ontario and make sure that those who want to work and live in certain rural communities are able to do that. But what we need to do is we need to listen to our local leaders, our local MPPs, our, the people who are in the north, who are in eastern Ontario across this province, and talk to them about the challenge they're facing so that we can let their voices come to the top and that we can have our policies reflect what they want. Thank you. Ms. Elliott. Well, as I've traveled around the province during this leadership campaign, I've heard the same thing from business owners. They really feel that they're under attack by the Wynn Liberals, that they really want them to move out of the province or close up their businesses. And in the north particularly, there's almost a sense of despair. They're worried about keeping the jobs that they already have. There's a concern about keeping Bombardier there, for example, and opening up the ring of fire. That is something that I heard repeatedly by people in the north. It's a huge proposition, a $60 billion project, bringing 5,500 jobs to both northern Ontario and southern Ontario. So we need to listen to people where they live, but we also need to get hydro rates under control. A lot of businesses, if they're looking at a manufacturing facility, don't want to look at Ontario now. We need to ease some of the restrictions on businesses, particularly those brought forward by Bill 148. 
And the other piece that I think we really need to look at is innovation. We haven't talked about that much. We need to bring that entrepreneurial spirit back to Ontario, get people to be able to bring their businesses to market themselves, create jobs for themselves, and create jobs for other people. That's, I believe, the future of Ontario with a well-educated workforce. Thank you, Mr. Ford. I'm the only one that understands how to operate a business. I have a division in the U.S., one in Canada. I get letters every single week from states all over the U.S. saying, come down to Texas, we'll give you a tax incentive, we'll help you get a building as long as you employ people. Up here in Ontario, we're going to get rid of all the red tape and bureaucracy that makes it almost impossible to open the businesses here. We're going to get rid of the carbon tax until that's not a burden onto the companies. We're going to give companies tax incentives to come up and open up in here in Ontario. And don't mistake tax incentives from corporate welfare. I am dead against corporate welfare. Absolutely dead against it. But we have to make sure we have an environment to create businesses. I always say the government doesn't create businesses. They create the environment to create businesses. I'm the only one that's ever created numerous jobs on both sides of the border. And I'll do that for people, not only in the GTA in Toronto, but across the north. I just drove from last night, four hours from Sudbury, from North Bay. I talked to those people. I'm not going to mess around like the Liberal government. We're going to start getting those roads built. We're going to put infrastructure in until we can get a hold of all the natural resources. It's worth billions of dollars. We're going to create thousands of jobs. I will make this province the most prosperous province in the entire country, the most prosperous region in North America. Okay, thank you, Mr. Thank you. I'm going to open it up to debate, but for the dozens of people who emailed about questions about the Ring of Fire or concerns about having their children move to Toronto to get a job, are there specific things that you would like to say to them? I would like to say that I would like young people to be able to stay in Ontario. I've heard from so many parents that are saying their children can't find jobs here. They're going to the States, to the UK, to other places. We need to keep those young people here, whether it is in a job in an existing business or starting their own business. There's some great ideas out there. We've got really well-educated young people. They're doing great research in our universities and our hospitals. I actually believe that healthcare can stop being just a user of tax dollars and become a job creator because there is great research being done here on the brain, for example, it's known the world over. We have places like Colin Bloorview that are creating really innovative devices for children that can't speak to be able to communicate. What they don't have is the seed money to get things started. And that's the piece that we need to get right so they can start the businesses here. They don't have to go elsewhere. They can have a good living here and they can provide a good living for other people. That's what I want to spur because the jobs of the past, the line jobs, auto manufacturing, I grew up in Whitby, Oshawa. Most of my classmates went to work at General Motors and worked on the line. They are retired now with great pensions. I went wrong somewhere, I think. But, but the point is that those jobs don't exist anymore, not in the quantities that they used to. So we need to really adjust our thinking on the kind of jobs that we want young people to get into in Ontario. There's lots of jobs in innovation. There's lots of jobs in skilled labor. We don't have skilled trades here in Ontario. That's going to be a big problem for us going forward. So we really need to concentrate on those areas so people can graduate 
from colleges and universities with something besides a big student debt that they'll have a job. We need to focus on, we need to have a complete shift in the way uh, our government interacts with business. Uh, this government has been working steadfast against business since it's been uh, in power. Uh, people who are entrepreneurial and innovative feel like they cannot do what they want to do here. But what we need to do is we need to work as well with young people. So we need to understand what they need to what what they want. Uh, we've got uh, the economy is changing. We, it's hard to keep pace. Uh, we need to work with young people and tech and co tech companies to understand what the economy is going to look like in 10 years, in 20 years, and make sure that we are training students today for the jobs of the future. Because as Christine, I agree. The, the, the economy is changing very quickly, and the kinds of jobs that existed 20 years will not exist. There's a good chance that my children and Tanya's children may not have driver's licenses. So we need to make sure that we are training children for today, kids today, for the jobs of tomorrow. Uh, can I just chime in here really quickly? Um, so we have a farm. We have a farm in Gray County, and um, for those who don't know, it costs a lot more to live up in the rural areas. You drive a lot. Hydro rates are expensive because if you have farm and you have farming equipment, guess what? It all requires fuel or energy. So, uh, you know, to put diesel in my tractor, that costs more. And so when we have high hydro rates and when we encourage stupidity like the, the cap and trade or the, or, the, or the carbon tax, which, of course, everybody was supportive except for me when Patrick Brown trampled on the grassroots and brought it in, that hinders job growth in the rural communities. I get it. I live there. I understand that. So when we bring down those hydro rates and bring down costs of energy, then people can actually have that choice. Can I stay in my rural community or do I have to go to Toronto? Thank you. On a whole other topic. This next question is from Caitlin in Ottawa Vanier. She writes, for months, businesses, media and politics have been rocked by the Me Too movement. The reason for this leadership process is because of the allegations of sexual misconduct. I would like to know what each of the four candidates will do to address the pervasive and persistent challenge of sexism and harassment in politics and within the Ontario PC party. As leader, how will you work to ensure that this culture has no place in politics and no place in this party? Mr. Ford? Well, it's totally, you know, something that's totally unacceptable. I have four girls, my wife, it's totally unacceptable, but it's not, it's not just women, it's men too. It's on both sides. It's not just women. We have to start respecting our colleagues. No one should use their power. No one should use their power to pressure anyone into anything. That is unacceptable. Done. It will be done. So what would you plan to do about it as leader? Make sure you hold people accountable. If it happens, they're gone. It's very simple. It's gone. You've got to start respecting each other. You can't use a position of power to force yourself on someone either way, if you're a male or a female. It's unacceptable. Are there rules of conduct or certain practices that you'd put in place? There's rules of conduct right now. They have to follow them. That's what they need to do. You've got to start respecting each other. It's about respect. There's rules. There's laws in place. You've got to start respecting each other. That's what it comes down to, and not abusing your power. It's very simple. 
You have more time on the clock, so I'm just going to keep asking you questions. Um, the Australian Prime Minister, for example, yeah. has banned his uh, MPs from dating their staff. Is that something that you would look at? Suspend your staff? Dating their staff. No, I don't think that's appropriate. You have a, a, a staff member? You're, are you talking about Queen's Park? You're dating someone within Queen's Park? Like in your own office? Are you serious? No. I said the Australian Prime Minister has banned his MPs from dating their staff. Is that something you'd look at? That's a no-brainer. You, you can't be dating someone in your office. If they want to date someone in Queen's Park as a whole and there's 2,000 people, that, that's understandable. But dating someone, your own staff? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay, we move on to Ms. Granick Allen. What would you do to ensure that culture has no place in politics and in this party? Well, I would keep power and corruption in check. Uh, as a woman who's been actively engaged in politics for 20 years, I understand this issue very well, and I have a lot of friends who do also. Uh, I agree with Doug. We should uh, make sure that all the laws and all the harassment laws are strictly enforced. But, you know, you bring up, uh, you know, that people should leave if they've had allegations levied at them, and then we talk about due process for Patrick Brown. I'm going to ask you, where's the due process for the candidates? the candidates of nominations who were bullied out of running under Patrick Brown and his corrupt team. Where is the due process? You all are fun with, you're all fine with Patrick Brown running for you. I'm not going to have Patrick Brown run for me. Read my lips. He's not running for me. So I would like to know, are you going to open up the nominations which are questionable? Where candidates like Joe Neal in Durham, had, had, he was a regional councillor and he put his name forward to run. And, and he was basically bullied out of running because Patrick Brown spread a falsehood about him that he was a Liberal Party donor. So my question to you is when he was going to, when Joe Neal was going to put those, uh, those allegations and go to court to have an injunction made, uh, he, the, he, uh, Patrick Brown said, even if the judge sides with you, Mr. Neal, I'm still not going to sign your nomination papers because I'm going to pick Lindsay and it's not going to be you. So my, and then after that was Ms. done, Allen, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry it's Ms. Mulroney's one last, turn now. One last you can use the open debate sure. to ask okay. all the questions you want. We'll go back to it. <laughs> well, the content of your original question is very serious, and it has affected thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of women across different industry, industries, not just in politics, but in business and in the entertainment industry. And as when, I, when I started my career in the business world, uh, I, I saw it and I, it affected my colleagues, it affected women that I worked for. Uh, the allegations that we have seen come forward, uh, the, the speed at which, the number of which doesn't surprise me. It upsets me, but it doesn't surprise me. I think that women need, and men as well, who are victims of sexual uh, assault, um, or harassment feel like they can come forward uh, and, and, and it, it takes a lot of courage to do that, especially in the context of a work environment. So they need to know that they can come forward and across our industries we need to have policies in place that support that, that protect them and that manage this power differential, differential where people take advantage of people who have less power than they do and, 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 and prey on them. Now, I did propose last this, yesterday a sexual harassment policy for the PC party. We need to strengthen this policy in the party, and when I'm leader and when I'm premier, we will also strengthen it at Queen's Park. But it needs to happen across the board. Ms. Elliott. 
we cannot tolerate any sexual misconduct or harassment in the workplace or anywhere else. And women have gone through this for many, many years. Women are now speaking up. But particularly when someone holds a position um, as a boss to someone, there, there's no way that that continue. I do agree with Doug, would not happen under me either. But I think that we need to remember uh, that we are already working on that in our policy. We already have a caucus member who is tasked with developing a, a workplace policy on sexual harassment and misconduct. That is going to be in place very soon, but I will certainly want to review it um, should I become leader and make sure that it is adhered to. Because you can have lots of rules. We have a constitution that has not been adhered to recently either. So you have to have the rules and you have to make sure that people follow them too. The uh, Federal Conservative Party uh, here uh, has recently added a question regarding their candidate vetting in which they ask if an individual has ever been accused of inappropriate sexual behavior. Should that be enough to disqualify a candidate? And I open it up to Well, can I just speak to this? Um, I think what's important to consider when we're looking at work environments and sexual harassment policies is what kind of culture and what kind of climate do we have in, our, in, in that workplace. And I'm telling you right now, the culture that I've seen come out of the Ontario PC uh, offices within Queen's Park has been a toxic culture. It's one where people routinely have abused their power and position. And not just, uh, and again, I'm not going to address the sexual allegations levied against um, Patrick Brown, but I'm talking about the, the way he has bullied and him and his team and the executive have abused their powers, that he has given him powers that he simply does not have, that are not in the Constitution, and the way that he has run these nomination meetings in such a corrupt manner, we have to address the corruption in our party. Because if you want to deal with sexual harassment, then you've got to tackle the climate. And that climate of doing what I want, how I want, when I want, it was a pervasive mentality in Queen's Park with Patrick Brown and his team, and we have to address that. And just to be clear, I was not the first to speak about it. Sorry, let me just add one more thing. I was not the first to speak about corruption in the party. Senator Marjorie LeBreton, she spoke about the corruption that happened here in Ottawa, West Nepean. Heroes like Jim Carahalios, who led the charge, and in return, what happened? He felt the wrath of Patrick Brown. So we have good people like Senator LeBreton and Jim Carahalios who've spoken out about this toxic culture, this toxic culture of corruption, and where has that left them? Are we going to address this big elephant in the room tonight? Open debate. The collective voices that have come forward as a result of what's happened at Queen's Park and what's happened in the entertainment industry and what's been happening in business industries across Canada for years has now prompted business businesses, companies to finally take a look at their policies. Not every policy is going to be the right one to address the problems and the culture in each company. But it is important that we start finally respecting the fact that this has happened and that it is having a deep effect on women and on other victims of sexual, uh, alleg uh, sexual harassment, and it needs to change. But just because someone has been accused doesn't mean, I think, that it should go in. But we need to take all these, all these allegations very seriously. And I respect the concept of due process. I really do. And I appreciate that you all want due process, process for Patrick. Where is the due process for these candidates of nominations? Will you stand with me and open those nominations and say, yes, we will have integrity in our open nomination process and we will restore integrity and we will allow due process for those candidates who were bullied out of running or who were, who've had things levied against them that are simply not true. We must stand with Senator LeBreton and Jim Carahalios. I understand that this issue is very, very important to you, but the question is about, about me too. 
I, it is, I understand it's important to all of you, but the issue is about Me Too and what has happened that women have finally come forward after years of keeping these, keeping these, what's happened to them quiet. They have finally had the strength and the courage to do that, and it's finally transforming business culture across this province and across this country and political culture as, as well, and that that is important. Seeing as Ms. Granick Allen wants to talk about the party nomination, this question is from Jamie in Oakville, North Burlington. As the new leader of the Ontario PC Party, how would you ensure that democratic principles are maintained in the party's nomination process? And how would you ensure gender equity with the candidates, MPP, and more importantly, cabinet posts? And Ms. Elliott, we'll start with you. Well, I think the first thing that you need to do is to actually follow the Constitution. I think that's really important to follow the rules that are set up to make sure that uh, nomination meetings are being conducted fairly, that if you pass the initial vetting process, that you can go ahead and if you sell the most memberships, then you win. There should be no interference at all from leadership or anyone else involved in it. Everyone, once they're given the opportunity to run and given the green light, they should be able to go and, and sell the memberships in the proper way, and if they win the most, then they get to be the candidate. But I think that there's a lot more that, that we need to do that to make sure you asked about gender balance. I really believe that it's going to be the best person that should run for it. We shouldn't have quotas of women running. I think it should be the best person and it should be a fair and equal contest. And I think the fact that there are three women on this stage indicate that we get that in the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party and that I think that the best person should win and the person that sells the most memberships will be the winner. Mr. Ford. Well, we've, we've seen in the province a lot of problems in these nominations. And we still have 20 some odd uh, nominations to go. And when I'm leader, I'm gonna make sure they're transparent, people are held accountable, and there's gonna be integrity here. I was at a nomination, Scarborough Center. Believe it or not, the lights went out. The lights went out and the lights came on five minutes later and people running around with ballots in their hand. I was at nominations that I heard that there was ballot stuffing. There was more, there was more ballots than there was votes. I guess they, when they were, they were doing it, they weren't keeping track properly. But there was more belts. That, that's unacceptable. There's one thing that I won't allow to happen. We're going to vet our candidates prior to them handing over money. What just burned me up when I've been going around the province and I've heard person after person after person, Doug, I, I worked my back off. I sold 2,000 members. I went to the party and gave them $20,000. And they said the day before, and one person said an hour before, you can't run. That is wrong. Absolutely wrong. And that's not going to happen under my watch. Mrs. Granigan. So that's great, but it has happened under all our watch. What have we done? What have you done, Doug? Are we okay? So this is great. Let, no, this is a good starting point. So are we actually now? Will you commit to me with me here on the stage? Will you open up all those nominations? Any, any, any nomination that there was discretions, absolutely. So you're going to open them up? Or, no, any nominations that there was discretions, that there was more ballots, lights going off, anything along those lines, <laughs> that's it. They're going to be reopened up. Great. Thank you. Anybody else want to chime in? Uh, Ms. Mulroney, and then we'll okay. open to think. Okay. 
well, I am disturbed to hear, Doug, that you attended nominations and saw ballot stuffing and didn't do anything about oh, no, it. No, no, no. Hold on, Caroline. Hold on. I'm, uh, hold on. But I'll just finish. Something, no, I'm just following oh, what you said. Hold on. Hold on. We'll have open debate in a second. Please I, let I am the only one on this. I mean, I'm the only one who, as part of this leadership campaign, has actually put out a plan on what we will do to restore the trust and integrity of this party. And it does include a newer and stronger vetting process for candidates, for party executive members, and for staff. And we need to make sure that our nomination, our nomination procedure is as fair and open, as transparent as possible. That is key to making sure that people believe that we are the strongest party that we can be. I have confidence that the executive is doing what it can now. But when I take over the party on March 10th, I will, as I said yesterday, I have a new plan that I will implement to make sure that the party and the processes are as fair and transparent as possible. Well, let, let me respond here for a minute. I'm going I'm to start off with saying, after that, I called the leader, called the president of the party, called everyone there, told them it was unacceptable, have some integrity, have some accountability, it's unacceptable. And Caroline, I find it pretty rich for you to say this, a person that got parachuted into your area, no competition, no nomination, none whatsoever for you to say that. Matter of fact, maybe we should reopen your nomination and get more competitors in there. I can tell you, you I work very hard for my nomination. I look forward to finding out what kind of work Caroline, you do Caroline, when you actually get nominated Caroline, did you have in a, your riot. Did you have a private... Why don't you tell the people the private conversation you had with the party to get that position? That's unacceptable. That is unacceptable. Doug, you, there are no private conversations. Doug, you have not uh, even put your... I look forward to finding out where you run and when you do. But all I know is a month ago, you wanted to be mayor of the city of Toronto. Yeah. And when you found out this job was available, you decided that this is what you wanted to do. This party needs a leader who is actually committed to fixing what's wrong with Ontario. And I'm the only person on this stage who made the, who made the commitment last year to run as a candidate. We have so much to do, and what we need is we need a leader who is committed to this. That is what my priority is. Yours was running for mayor of Toronto. Yeah. And, speaking, can I speak? and speaking of a month ago, Caroline, up until a month ago, you were Patrick Brown's star candidate. That's right. That's right. And, and you were happy to be his star candidate. And you sat and you said nothing while all that corruption was going on, while candidates were being bullied, while members were being stripped of their membership. So what are you going to do? Are you going to open up the nominations or are you going to sit again quietly and say nothing as the grassroots of this party have been neglected? Will you open up the nominations? I have been a very proud member of this party working very hard to do what we need to do, which is defeat Kathleen Wynne. We that is what I have gone. been doing along with all the other nominated ca uh, uh, candidates and caucus members. It has been a hard road, and we are doing what we need to do. I have been the one who put her name forward to be a candidate to do what we need to do with this party. Caroline, when, when there was no... I did, I did not put my name forward because I would not have been permitted to run under Patrick Brown That's because right. I'm against That's the right, Tanya. Club. That's right. It's Nailed right. that one. 
100%. Are you really going to sit here and lecture me on what you've done? Here's what I've done in the last two years. Here's what many of us have done in the last two years. We said stop the corruption. We've spoken out and we've championed and said grassroots need to get on board and we need to take back this PC party from the corrupt Patrick Brown and, his, and, and, the, and the executive that have run it into the ground. So oh, you, want, okay. you want to talk about having a voice? That's a voice. I've been very clear, very consistent. So no, Ms. I was happy not to be a star candidate under Patrick Brown. Ms. Granick Allen, thank you. If, may I just have one second to say something here? I've been a proud progressive conservative member for over 25 years. And I'm the only one on this stage that's already served as an MPP for nine years. And I think it's really important that we... Remember why we're all here. We all have to come together when this is all over because the star target here is Kathleen Wynne, not each other. Okay. We have four minutes left on the clock, so we're going to go along a little bit. I would like you now all to take a deep breath and say something nice about someone else on the stage, and then we will move to closing comments. Ms. Granigallon, we'll start with you. Are we ready? Um, about each candidate, something nice? Or you can just pick one. Look... I'm, I'm, look, I'm grateful. It's a, large, it's a huge sacrifice to put your name forward and run for public office. It really is. So I do thank you all for the personal sacrifices, and it is, that you have done to put your name forward. I truly, from the bottom of my heart, I've experienced this in the last couple weeks because I've been a late entrant. It's hard on families. It's hard on yourself. It's hard on your system. So I thank you for putting your name forward, and I hope that you will use your positions, even in this debate for the few minutes we have left, to help clean up our party. Because I'm a diehard grassroots conservative and our party deserves better. We have to move on from Patrick Brown. But we can't until we treat the grassroots properly and open those nominations for those poor candidates who were just bullied out of running. It's an important point. Can you pick one person and say something nice about them? Sure. Sure, Christine, I'm, I'm, I'm happy of your, your evolved position on the sex ed. And Doug, you too, I'm happy about that very much. Because I think that, no, I really am. Because this is an issue. I'm the head of a parental rights stakeholder group. So I really respect that you have come this far. And I'm grateful for that. And thank you for giving parents um, the advance notice. Because that's very important. Thank you. Ms. Mulroney, please pick someone on the stage and say something nice about them. Uh, I could say something nice about all three. Uh, Tanya, you uh, are a very passionate advocate for the issue that matters to you, and you speak very well to that point. Um, uh, Christine, you have had a long history with the party, and you've uh, been a great representative for your community in the past. And Doug, uh, you speak very well for the anger that a lot of us feel about the Liberals. (laughs) Ms. Elliott. Well, I also respect all of the candidates on this stage. I know that it takes a lot. It takes people away from their family life and from their business requirements. So I really respect everybody's doing that. Um, to Tanya, I would say I really admire your spirit. You are very passionate about your issues. You are representing um, grassroots people with real concerns, and you do it very well. Um, Caroline, I respect your getting involved in this, your knowledge, your experience in business and in volunteer causes. Volunteer causes are really important to me too, and I thank you for all the work that you're doing. And Doug, we've known each other for a really long time. I respect your power and your business experience as well, and you're doing the hard work traveling around Ontario, so thank you for that. 
Mr. Ford. Uh, do I have an hour to say all these wonderful things? <laughs> I've said over and over again, every speech I've, I've won across the province, I have the utmost respect for my opponents here. And I'll, I'll start with Tanya. Tanya, you, you set a new bar here. You know, every, everyone the first debate when you came out, you know, everyone after was kind of going after you. That was unfair. You have courage. You have a backbone to stand up with your beliefs. You aren't one of these wishy-washy politicians that flips side to side, which I just can't stand, these, these wishy-washy politicians. So thank you for standing up, and you will play an important role in our government. Caroline, boy, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of backbones, nerve to get up, because all three of us come from a family with a well-known name. And that, that takes a lot of courage. You have four children, so, you know, that it's tough. You have four children. You're trying to be the mom. You're trying to help out, but you're also sacrificing your whole life. You know how hard that is? I couldn't do that. I couldn't have, have the responsibility there and then also do what you're doing. You're, you're, you're going to have an amazing future in this party. Amazing future. Christine, as I've said, we've known each other for years. The, the charitable work you've done up in Whitby with, with children, with autism, with other disabilities, yourself and, and Jim is unbelievable what they've given back to the, the community. So again, I thank you for your, your service. Amazing charitable work. Okay, thank you very much, all four of you. And we now begin closing statements. You have up to two minutes to make a closing statement. And Mr. Ford, the draw made you first. Okay. My friends, Ontario is in bad shape. It's in a financial mess right now. And once this was the economic engine of Canada, Ontario was, now we're a have-not province under the Liberals. We've lost over 300,000 good manufacturing jobs. We've had the slowest growth of any province in the country for the past decade. We actually hold a world record. Do you know what the world record is? Is debt. A world record of debt. And the U.S. has recently taken away our competitive edge by lowering the corporate rates from 36 down to 21%. The only thing that has grown in this province is the government. Right now, we have a chance to change that. But it's going to take more than just replacing Kathleen Wynne. It's going to take electing someone who will stand up for the taxpayers and stand up to the elites, the ones that tell us they know better. And there's a lot of elites out there. Any of the candidates, any of the candidates here can defeat Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals. The people of this province are desperate for change. The Liberals' time is up. However, however, we will win nothing. We will win absolutely nothing if we simply, simply replace Kathleen Wynne Liberals with another elitist, surrounded by a team of insiders, we're just replacing the liberals with the liberals. Someone afraid to stand up to the special interest, 
afraid to stand up to the media. We win nothing if we replace one liberal government with another liberal government. I'm the only one who will stand up to the party elites, the political insiders, the government bureaucrats. I'm the only one who will have the courage to do what is necessary to get this province back on track. Mr. Ford, thank when you the very big... much. I'm sorry, I've already let you really? run. For real? Yes. I'm sorry that Patrick wasn't here with us tonight. It truly would have been justice for Patrick Brown for him to face some tough questions on this stage tonight. On behalf of party members, I would have held him into account for his political crimes as leader, his broken promises to Ontarians, to the parents on the sex ed issue, his broken promises to the taxpayers on the carbon tax issue, the corruption of the party, the party constitution in many, many nominations, his abuse of power and purging and suing Jim Carahalios, who exposed Brown's corrupt governance, a total waste of party donor money, the investigation into his financial dealings by the integrity commissioner, and of course, the ongoing criminal investigation in Hamilton West. But Vic Fideli was right. It's time to move on from Patrick Brown. But moving on from Patrick Brown means that as a party, we need to move on without him. Make no mistake, coming out of this leadership, we must have a strong and united PC party, united in common cause to end the 15-year nightmare that has been the mcginty win liberal regime. A regime distinguished by its political corruption and its anti-family agenda. But our next leader, one of us, won't be able to do this if we're saddled with a toxic political baggage that comes from our previous and now infamous former leader. Starting this Friday, voting will begin. Let's vote to move on from Patrick Brown. And I'm the candidate who will do just that. I promise to move on from Patrick Brown from the beginning for the taxpayers and the parents of children in Ontario. Let's move on from Patrick Brown and let's defeat Kathleen Wynne in the next election. Please, vote for me, Tanya Granick-Allen, as your number one choice and let's move on. Thank you. When we head to the polls in June, it will have been 19 years since our party has won an election. That's an entire generation. Aren't you ready to win? Aren't you ready to send Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals packing? We need so much better than the high-spending, high-taxing, job-killing policies of the Liberals. Ontario needs better. But the Ontario PC Party can, can be the change for the better only if we make the right change at the top a change from the past, a change from the damage of these last few weeks. There's only one candidate here who can bring that change, and that's me. I have the skills and I have the plan to attract jobs to Ontario, to make our schools a place where kids learn what they need to succeed, to protect our most vulnerable, and to make life more affordable for Ontario families. Et tout ça décolle le 10 mars quand un nouveau chef innovateur va réunir le parti. On est unis pour s'acharner à un meilleur Ontario. So if you believe that it's time for a new generation to take the reins, to do what past generations could not, then I ask for your support. It's time to win. Together we can finally fire Kathleen Wynne.
gentlemen, it's not enough that we want to win the next election. The fact is that Ontario needs us to win the next election. We cannot afford four more years of the win Liberals. We need to win a majority progressive conservative government on June 7th. But we, here's the thing, we only have a short period of time. It's only about 100 days between now and June 7th. And we need to have a leader with experience, a leader that's ready to step into the job on day one, on March 11th, to move forward, start into full campaign mode. I am the only candidate on this stage that's prepared to do that. And I want to tell you why. I've been elected four times. I've served for nine years at Queen's Park as an MPP, including six years as deputy leader of the party. I've traveled across this province and I understand the needs and concerns of people in every part of this province. I want to put what I've learned into action. I have learned through the past two years working as patient ombudsman about the gaps in our healthcare system. I want to work with patients and families and healthcare providers and all of my colleagues at Queen's Park to make our healthcare system better and stronger. But I've also had the opportunity to work as a bank auditor in a time before I entered politics. I understand reading complex financial statements and I want to go line by line by line through 15 years of Liberal government waste and mismanagement. I want to be the auditor that goes in and cleans up Kathleen Wynne's mess. And it's not enough just to say that you're going to do that. I have taken Kathleen Wynne on at Queen's Park many, many times. And I can tell you I look forward to doing it again because we need a leader that can go head to head and toe to toe with her. Please join us because I know that together we can win that majority progressive conservative government on June 7th. Thank you. Thank you to all four of you. Well, that concludes our debate. I want to say thank you to those who took the time to submit questions on the party's website, and a big thank you to our candidates for your participation tonight. Mesdames et Messieurs, s'il vous plaît, remercions nos candidats. Ladies and gentlemen, please show your appreciations for the candidates. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Okay, still waiting for these scrums to begin momentarily down at the Shaw Center. I'm Brian Lilly. This is a special edition of Beyond the News as we took the full Ontario PC leadership debate live. And now we're taking your reaction. As we take your calls, we may have to interrupt you to go live to the Shaw Center for scrums from each of the candidates. And my apologies to you if I sound rude, if I interrupt you, we'll put you on hold and we'll come back to you and you can listen in and react to what the candidates have to say. They will come down in a specified order that they drew earlier today. All I can tell you is that Tanya Granick allen is the first And after that, I don't know the order I tried to find out, but it's a busy place down there. And so many people, so many of you wanting to stop and say hi, say thank you, say how much you enjoy listening. Um, So let me ask you, call in now, 521-TALK, 521-8255. How did you think the debate went? Who won? Who lost? Uh, 
did anyone move up or down in your voting? Because it's a ranked ballot. So somebody could have been your number one. Now they're your number two or your number three. Did anyone move in your estimation? Claire, let's go to uh, Claire. Uh, What did you think of the debate? Well, I thought it was uh, pretty good to have it on the radio. My first question is, why aren't these debates uh, televised so we could see the candidates uh, debating? uh, Okay, Uh, Claire, i got to put you on hold because Tanya Granick-Allen is starting, okay? Uh, Stay there, and we'll hear what she has to say and come back to you, okay? Uh, How would we do that? Because we have it within our... uh our, we have it within our power, our, per, our legislative power to do so. So if we pass uh, legislation that we will cancel those contracts, then we get to say how much, if any, money that will be paid. But I'm going to put companies on notice. If they're getting fat off the taxpayers and families in Ontario, that's going to come to an end. Tanya, uh, you mentioned a couple of times tonight that you had wish that Patrick Brown was on the stage. If that had been the case... What would you have said to him? Well, I've made it very clear I would have held him to account for his political crimes. And one of the major themes of those crimes is the corruption and the corrupt manner in which he has governed this party and in which he has run local nominations. Follow-up question, Tanya. Now, two years Patrick Brown's been leader, he has alienated social, fiscal, democratic conservatives to the point that so many have stopped supporting the PC party. If you became leader, what would you say or do to attract those uh, supporters back to the fold. Thank you. Well, that's why I'm in this race, to be a strong voice for those who felt disenfranchised by Patrick Brown or who were simply neglected or told to leave. Uh, and what I would do is I would, I would unify people with my, with my voice. I will tell people, let us come together. We, we need to focus now, move beyond Patrick Brown, and we need to focus on defeating the McGinty win liberal government that has ruled us for way too long. Uh, so I would make sure that the grassroots are heard. That's the most important thing to me. Let people have their voice. We're not going to kick people out of the party. We're not going to bully people out of nomination races. We're going to have open, fair, and democratic nominations and let the best candidate win. And that's how we restore some integrity to this party, and that's how we govern ourselves with integrity. Uh, we need to make sure that we are equipped to do that, and I will be the person to do that very clearly. You, uh, you've been pushing for candidates to come out and, and uh, set their policies and, and positions on a few issues, parental uh, control of education and also um, a number of things. I'm wondering, if, do you feel as though there's been any, you've made any progress in this? Have you got them to put, uh, put down their positions on, uh, on the ground? Well, I think uh, you can appreciate that from the very minute I entered this race, candidates have already evolved their positions on on issues that affect all Ontarians. So, for example, with the sexual education curriculum, I I guess the only candidate who hasn't evolved is Carolyn Mulroney because she still said she won't revisit it, uh, which is sad because there are many parents whose rights are being trampled with that kind of position. Um, But, you know, I see that Doug Ford has come uh, some way on that issue. Uh, Christine Elliott just tonight said that she would give notice to parents when these matters would be discussed within the classroom. And and I commend them because that's important. We need to make sure that parental rights and parental choice with their children is respected in Ontario. To build off that, it appeared you were trying very hard tonight to get the uh, other candidates to pledge that they would reopen any contentious nomination races that occurred. What did you make of the answers that you got tonight from each of the candidates? So the reason I was very vocal on that issue, because I respect grassroots democracy. And it's the right and the just and the correct thing to do is to reopen those nominations. 
Uh, I would have liked to have, well, I think Doug Ford co uh, committed to reopening those nominations, and I commend him for that. I would like to see the other two candidates uh, put an end to the corruption within this party and give due process to those candidates who've, who've been shut out and who were bullied and, and, and discredited. We need to put an end to that. Can you, can you name particular writings where you would reopen the nominations, identify the exact ones? Sure. Um, there are several. I mean, we know already the party has overturned two, a Scarborough Centre and uh, Ottawa West Nepean. Uh, there's now uh, the riding of uh, Hamilton West and Castor Dundas. Obviously, the candidate there has stepped down uh, to allow for an open. And then there's, of course, a lot of dirt that has come up in the past week. Uh, some other writings is, is Carlton with Goldie de Gamari. We have issues here at Glengarry Prescott-Russell with Miss Samard. Um, what other writings? Uh, Durham, I mentioned that one in the debate with Joe Neal. The current candidate is Lindsay Park. We've got to open up that one. I mean, we could go on and on and on. I mean, those are the ones that have been, have been made known. Uh, who knows how many others are? And I would like to hear from those candidates because if we're going to talk about due process and if we're going to talk about real conservative values, then we need to talk about respecting democracy and especially at the grassroots local level. Tanya, where are you running? Well, we have committed to run because you have to in order to run as a leadership candidate. And uh, as, as of this point, uh, un until I've, I'm the victor, we, we do not have to commit to a location. No, but when you, when you filed your uh, papers that you had to file to get approved by the uh, Provincial Nominations Committee, you had to declare a riding. What riding did you declare? Well, there were only a few handful that were open, but I'm, I'm happy to see that in, since that time that I filed those papers, that more ridings have been opened up. So uh, once we, we've passed this process of running for leader, then I will look to see what other ridings have been opened up, and I will select a riding then. Okay, so, but if <laughs> you're, you're not saying what riding you're going to win. Does it depend on whether you become leader or not? Uh, I think it depends on what's available at that time, and I'd be more than happy to answer that question uh, as we progress, and I'll, I'll answer that question on March 10th. You'll have to talk to the LEOC about that. No, but... Uh, or the, the, you, sorry, the PNC. Okay, but you, you aren't saying what writing, what writing did you declare in the papers that you filed with the Provincial Nominations Committee? Uh, I was under instruction from the Provincial Nominations Committee that we don't have to commit to that writing or declare it, okay. so I will let you take that up with the Provincial Nominations Committee. So you filed it, your name in a writing, but you won't say what the writing was? I take that up with the Provincial Nominations Committee. Okay. Uh, the other thing, though, is uh, this is a ranked ballot. What are you telling your supporters uh, to do for uh, who do you want them to rank second? I don't. I let my supporters exercise their democratic right to to vote and rank as many or as few people as they choose. My number one message is rank Tanya Granick Allen as number one and do the rest as you as you would like. Tanya, when you gave that list of uh, writings you'd like to see reopened, I'd like to get your um, viewpoint on one of the writings you mentioned was Carrollton with uh, Goldie Gamery. And she has allegedly written on social media that uh, Jesus is worm food and Christianity is gay. And I'm just curious, as a social conservative, what do you have to say to those comments? I don't think I have to be a social conservative or anything to, to address those comments. And I think that's something that the, the PNC will have to address because she was vetted and she was approved to run. So that's up to them. Um, again, I, Ms. Gamari can 
say whatever she likes. I mean, this is a, a democracy and we have freedom of expression. Um, but for more information on other writings, I'm sorry, one of, I think you asked for a list of other writings. Um, just go uh, check out Take Back Our PC Party. Jim Carahalios has a lot of information on a lot of these writings with a lot of details. And uh, I'm sure you'd find a, a wealth of information there. By, by the way, sorry, just one more question. I, I don't agree with her, her opinion there. That was, I abhor that p- a position. Uh, you are listening to a Good, scrum live from the Shaw Center of uh, Tanya Granick-Allen with reporters. Let's go quickly back to, to Claire. Claire, sorry for interrupting you, but we want to do we want to bring these candidates to you live. What was your quick thought on the debate? Who won? Who lost? Did anyone move in your opinion? Well, I think they all did a good job. I think uh, Mrs. Elliott was probably first, Doug Ford, then Mrs. Mulroney, and then the last lady. But what I wanted to know is why wasn't these debates uh, televised if it's so important and so long that we haven't had a PC government? Well, because uh, the TV networks didn't want to do it. But it, it was online. You could watch it online if you wanted the visuals. Um, I actually prefer listening to these things rather than watching them. <laughs> but I might just be weird. Okay, well, anyways, uh, the point is it's nice that they were able to at least put it on the radio, but it would have been nice to see them on television. All right, did anyone move in your opinion, Claire, or do you come out of the debate with the same view as before? Pretty much the same as before, although it would be nice to have a woman elected. I still think Doug Ford could do a good job representing women, but uh, it's you don't elect a woman just because she's a woman because she's a good candidate. Okay. I think they all did a pretty good job, and thank you for putting it at least on the radio. Thank you so much, Claire. Let's go quickly back to the Shaw Center. We've got Christine Elliott up in her scrum. Then we'll come back and go to Will in Canada, but let's listen into Christine Elliott's scrum with reporters now. Well, it means more than just saying yourself that you've cleared your name. That's up to other people to determine. And it would be determined if Patrick had stayed on. He had been cleared by the um, the committee that makes those decisions. Uh, and so it would have been up to the membership to decide if he'd cleared his name. But I think that there are other things. I know Patrick is continuing to work on that. And that um, that decision will be made uh, if and when he does clear his name objectively. Uh, before the next election. Well, I think there has to be some objective evidence there. It can't just be that uh, he says that it was all wrong and all false. There has to be some evidence. There, I know, had been some intra, some evidence that the facts weren't as they were originally stated by the complainants. He did go through a lie detector test and other things. I don't know if there's other work that he needs to do, but I know that's how he's planning on spending his time right now and being with his family who's been very upset by the stress of all of this. Does he have to clear his name from the Integrity Commissioner complaint and the Hamilton West Ancaster Dundas issue and inflating membership numbers, all those other you know, accusations against him, the, where he got the $375,000 to, you know, uh, pay for his house? Well, there are a lot of issues that are out there, and it's going to be up to other third parties that are going to make those determinations. There are several things that are um, before the police. I guess they'll make their own determination before the Integrity and Ethics Commissioner. Uh, They will make their own determination, and then the issue with the um, alleged misconduct, I know that Patrick is continuing to work on that. 
Tanya's comments about ripping turbines out of the ground. What do you think those comments that she made say about her competency to run the province? Well, I think it's way too simplistic. Uh, you can't just pluck wind turbines out of the ground. In many cases, they are were replaced there by farmers on their land. The farmers had gone into a lot of debt. They've gone to the bank to borrow the money. They have contracts that are going to allow them to receive some money back in terms of the energy that's being produced. So I think that it's, it's way too simplistic to take that approach. I live in the real world. It's much more difficult than that to do. But I think as far as the very large multi-million dollar contracts, as far as they're concerned, I definitely think that we should go through each and every one of them, look at them individually to see if they can be terminated early or not expanded. But you can't just say, let's rip up the contracts, because in many cases, remember the gas plant scandal, when they determined that they weren't going to proceed with them, we ended up with a billion dollars. So in many cases, if you rip the contracts up, the costs are going to be greater than if you proceeded with them. So you need to be realistic about what can actually happen here, and you need to do the due diligence and hard work to understand each contract on its own merits or lack of merits. Christine, going back to the Doug Ford comments, um, Ford is obviously uh, pursuing the agenda of respect for taxpayers, and then when he brings up the fact that you were taking a $220,000 job from the Wynn Liberals, do you think that, rightly or wrongly, this hurts your street cred with fiscal conservatives? Not at all. Not at all. I think maybe Doug misunderstands what the job of an ombudsman is. The job of an ombudsman is really to call the government into account and often be critical of the government. That's the job that I was hired to do, and that's the work that I did. I was serving the public in the job that I was doing, working with patients and families and health care providers to make our health care system stronger. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. That was Christine Elliott Scrum. Let's go. Uh, quick reaction from Will in Canada. Will, you've heard the debate. You've heard two scrums. Did anyone move up or down in your view? Granite Allen went right to the top. Really? Was she yes. at the top at the beginning of the debate or did it change? She was moving there. I was looking at Elliott before and then Ford. Now I'm looking at Granite Allen first then Ford, then Elliot. Mulrooney's a, she's really following. She's way back at the five-yard line. And, like, she's way back at the 95-yard line. Man, she's way, way back. Um, because She didn't she was, do what she had to do tonight. Now, I'll, I'll talk in my view about that later on. Um, why did Tanya Granick allen jump up to the front for you tonight? She is... Um, she's really, uh, I mean, she does not get into the long, spieled out Me Too and all its cacophonies. What she does is she um, goes right after general injustice and corruption. Not just she inculcates the things about Me Too into general corruption. And she pointed out to that brown wasn't going after Brown for those allegations anyway. She was going after Brown because of the corruption that he was pulling off in Hamilton West, the P and Carlton, and questionable stuff about Carlton as well. And I liked the way she finally did speak up and say, no, I don't like the comments about Christianity that was mentioned by the person who was from Carlton. Well, so, in fairness to, um, to Goldie Gamari, 
Those are allegations that I've heard before, allegations that I've spoken to her about, including on the air. Okay. And she says that th- she did not make those. I respect and that those you were for other, saying that because uh, I, wasn't, people. I, I wasn't educated to, 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 you know, to yeah. that point. So I'm thankful that and, you're and telling if, me And if Goldie is listening on her drive home, because I know she was out at the debate, uh, Goldie, you know how to go, get a hold of us and um, you're, you're welcome to call in. Thanks for your call, Will. Okay, thank you. All right, are are we hearing from uh, uh, whoever is up next? Is there another scrum starting? Okay, uh, just getting a text from Christy Cameron uh, on this, so I'll find out if the third has started. Andrew in Kempville, if I cut you off, don't hold it against me, Andrew. Oh, wait, du- uh, Andrew, before we get to you, here comes Doug Ford. Dollars and savings. Yeah. So are you going to not cut any jobs in the province and still save money? Yeah, we're, we're going to save money just like we did that. The no, city. Are you going to cut any jobs building. is the question. Are you gonna, no, are I, you? I, uh, no, I don't believe we need to cut any jobs. I don't believe in taking uh, food off people's uh, table. We're going to find efficiencies, drive efficiencies, and that's how we're going to save the money just like we did in the city of Toronto. Now, given that a large percentage of the provincial budget is about paying salaries, how do you save money without cutting jobs? I don't get it. I know, because you've never done it before. I have. That's the difference. Thank you. Next question. Mr. Ford, you said that uh, Ontario needs tax incentives to attract businesses to come here. That's correct. And in just about the next breath, you said you're dead set against corporate welfare. That's Can right. you draw a distinction between tax well, incentives very, very and corporate welfare? clear. Corporate welfare is giving Bombardier a billion dollars few years later, another billion, another billion. I'm not, I'm, I don't believe in that. But giving a tax incentive is encouraging companies here and, and giving a tax incentive to open up in certain regions. If they, they're up north, I'd be more than happy. Procter & Gamble is leaving Brockville. If Procter & Gamble came up to me and said, what sort of taxes can we save? We'd come up with a great plan to keep Procter & Gamble up there. There's going to be 300 families without a job up there. That, that's huge. Absolutely huge. So just to be sure I understand, you would, if companies came to you and said, we're going to have to leave unless we get some sort of a tax cut, we, we, you would look at what could well, be done. Well, not only that, I want to attract new companies too. Do you, do you know what I love down in the U.S.? Do you see what's happening down there? They said manufacturing jobs will never come back. They're coming back by the droves now. They have the lowest unemployment. This is who we're competing against. They're giving tax incentives every single couple, every, every couple weeks from a certain state. I'll, I'll get a letter from the Chamber of Commerce, from the state itself, saying, here, come to Texas. We'll help you, even with a building. We'll even help you hire people, as long as you come here and employ people. My point was, my friend, is we have to be business friendly here. We are not business friendly. We have layers and layers of red tape and bureaucracy that we have to cut. We have to get rid of. We have to make sure that businesses thrive in Ontario. We don't tax them to get at the death. And a lot of it, yes, I agree, is municipal taxes. Municipal, we got the highest hydro rates. We have this carbon tax that's done. So just look at the, the hydro rates and the carbon tax alone. They're job killers, absolute job killers. We're getting rid of the carbon tax for low and hydro rates. Next question. Last question. Anyone else? 
Hey, Doug. Uh, hey, just Nick. curious, in the Toronto or the GTA area in certain pockets, the Ford Nation brand is very strong, very powerful. I'm just curious, how does the Ford Nation brand resonate outside of the GTA based on your experience thus far? Well, good, good question, David. Uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's overwhelming. I said that before I went there. Before I even ran, I used to travel around Ontario. The rural areas... It resonates a lot more than even the 416. Every single location we go to, standing room only. No, no, no matter if it's 7.30 in the morning in Peterborough when we had a packed house, or London with standing room only, or Broadville, or Belleville, everywhere we're going, last night in Sudbury, we just drove all night from Sudbury, it was packed, packed. And the local organizers have said, Doug, we've had a lot of MPs, a lot of MPPs, a lot of leaders, no one has ever packed a room like this. But what's more, in, more interesting than that, David? What's more interesting are people coming up to me everywhere we go saying, I'm a lifelong NDP. I'm not joining the PC party to be a PC. I'm joining the party because of you. Every, everywhere I go, I'm a lifelong liberal. I'm joining the party because of you. I've never voted before in my entire life. But you give us... You give us hope. You, you give us hope here in Ontario. This is going to be the first time I've ever voted. Interesting. And Doug, one other question. Um, if you prevail as leader, uh, you'll certainly be going up against the Wynn Liberals and the NDP. Um, but I'm curious what your strategy will be based on the experience of what your late brother went through as mayor of Toronto when dealing with the media party, if you will, um, the way your brother was treated by the media, I thought was, you know, off the scale. It was a new benchmark. What is your strategy? Because you know they will be coming for you. Well, David, I'm the only one that will stand up to the establishment. I'm the only one that will stand up to the elites, the political elites and the political insiders that have been raking the taxpayers over the coals for years. I'm the only one that will challenge the liberal media. And we know, and, not, and don't get me wrong, not all the media are bad media, but I will stand up to the liberal media that has dictated policies and influenced politicians for 60 years in this province, in the city. I will stand up to that. We aren't going to base policies on what the, the media says, especially the liberal media. We're going to make sure we have policies that are beneficial to all Ontario residents and what they want. It's going to be what they want, not what the media prints. But anyways, I appreciate everyone coming tonight, and uh, we look forward to seeing All you right, in the future. Doug Thank Ford you. doing his scrum down at the Shaw Center. Quickly to Andrew before Christine, uh, sorry, Caroline Mulrooney comes out. Andrew, your thoughts on the debate tonight? Uh, who moved up? Who moved down? Where are things at? Yeah, I, I'm with Doug Ford. I really thought he did a good job. Uh, Tanya, really, she just changed the whole dynamic, I thought, at least this debate. I mean, in, in a good so way forceful. or a bad way? Oh, in a good way. I mean, my Lord, you know, you talk about the anti-politicians, and Doug Ford kind of holds that that uh, moniker. Um, <clears throat> you know, people compare to Trump, whatever. It's not the same thing. Just, you know, some that want to, um, you know, speak truth to power, that kind of thing. She seems very, very bright and articulate, and um, I don't know much about her background, but she was just not afraid to say anything. And um, I think she had a lot of people in defense, of, especially with respect to the... Um, uh, to the um, to the windmills, and uh, you know, Christine Elliott kind of coming out saying, "Well, you can't do that." And it was legal, you know, whatever. 
you can do whatever you want when you're in power. <clears throat> you know, and these people be compensated. Right. But she had the guts hey, to is Caroline Mulrooney coming up now? Okay, Andrew, do you want to stay on the line and come back after Caroline Mulrooney? I'm good, thank you, Brian. Okay, I'll put you on hold. Where here comes Caroline Mulrooney. Yes, hi, Caroline. I'm just curious: uh, is Walid Solomon part of your team? No, Walid is not part of my team. Okay. Uh, even though uh, your, your father, of course, is a uh, partner at the same law firm as Walid Solomon, is that correct? Correct. And Mr. Solomon has been uh, very vocal in the past about um, his uh, love for Sharia financing. Um, I'm curious if you support that kind of initiative and also if you can enlighten us why your father wrote a letter to the Globe and Mail some uh, years back where he was actually praising Saudi Arabia as our friends and allies? Uh, I, Walid Solomon and my father work at the same law firm, and uh, they're both partners there. Uh, I have no comments on uh, any letters uh, that any, either of them have written, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about ideas that are before me as a leadership candidate uh, for the PC Party of Ontario. You're saying you're not familiar with that letter that was published in the Globe and Mail by your father praising Saudi Arabia, a country where you, uh, potentially the Premier of Ontario, wouldn't be allowed to drive a car or vote or go outside without a male chaperone. My father has, uh, and a lot of people are doing a lot of great business with Saudi Arabia. I have no comments to make further. I did not read that letter, um, and uh, so I have no other comments. Okay. Caroline, what do you make of this call by uh, Doug Ford about uh, reopening your nomination in, uh, in York Simcoe? Uh, I, I don't know what Doug Ford was talking about. I, there are a lot of things that he said tonight that I wasn't sure what he was talking about. Um, I, I had an open nomination, and uh, I've been campaigning ever since then. Um, he seemed to be making some sort of allegation that there was a deal. Uh, did you make any sort of a deal to get an uncontested nomination? I absolutely uh, had an open nomination and I ran, uh, put my name forward. There, were, I was, uh, there was no deals made and uh, it was a clear and open nomination. So there was nobody, was there anyone discouraged from seeking the nomination against you because you ended up, you ended up being acclaimed, if I'm correct. Did, do you know of any other candidate who wanted the nomination in York Simcoe that uh, was discouraged from running? No one was discouraged from running. Uh, as far as I know, I met a number of people who were interested in doing and uh, being part of the riding, in, in being part of the riding, and uh, I, I'm happy to have their support. Uh, there was, I, I don't know of anyone who was discouraged. Uh, my children are uh, in, in school, and uh, it's a choice that uh, my husband and I have made that uh, to send them to the schools that we've we've decided. Uh, they are learn they are following the Ontario curriculum, just as uh, other children are. And uh, I decided I made the I said I wasn't going to reopen the curriculum. But are they in public or in private school? That was the question. Oh, they're in private school. As uh, parents, my husband and I did, uh, want to make the best choice that we can, and it is up to every family to make the choice that they want in terms of how to educate their family. 
why did you choose a why did you choose private schools over public schools? And pe lots of people couldn't afford to make that choice. You can. You made the choice. You did. What is the benefit of the private education over the public? We we made the best choice that we we could for our family, and that's all I'll say about that. Okay. Uh, uh, separate question. Um, six thank, weeks. Thank you very much. These are supposed to be ten minutes long. You've only been here for four. Carolyn Mulrooney walking out of her scrum after being questioned by our own Christy Cameron about whether her children go to public or private schools. Why is that important? Well, because as Christy said in her question, it was difficult for you to hear. Uh, Carolyn Mulrooney has said that she is fine with the sex ed curriculum as it is, that it works in the schools, but her kids go to private schools. So they're not really in the same system at all. Interesting that when reporters followed up, she left the room. Let's go back to, uh, before we take a quick break, Andrew in Kempville. Andrew, your thoughts. Uh, you were saying uh, Doug Ford was it at the top. Am I correct? Yeah, Doug Ford, and I was just really impressed with Tanya. And I was hoping, <clears throat> I, I was really hoping uh, better for uh, with Carolyn Mulroney, but it just, it, it's not panning out. And obviously, her decision to walk away from the mic, I mean, she must feel pretty, um, you know, uh, iffy about her own performance tonight. Or maybe she's getting grilled too much on questions that she didn't want to spend any time on. Yeah, it, but, uh, um, it doesn't look good for her to walk out like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the party's going to do with respect to Tanya. I, just, I was just impressed at her uh, her being so forthright and kind of putting other people on the uh, spot policy-wise. But I'm still Doug Ford. All and right. The preferential ballot is, is new for me. I'm not... That's not usually the way I uh, have voted in the past with my other party, which I'm no longer with. Uh, were you with the Liberal Party before? Yep. And, yep. okay, what what drove you over just before I let you go oh, for a commercial it's just break? too much. It's just too much. It's never-ending. I mean, yeah. if you get a party that's in there for a long time, you know, stuff happens, and they become jaded, but this it's just the same thing I, all the time. I say you got to change the sheets on yep. a regular basis, yep. whether it's your own bed or the, the political bed. It's laundry night. Um, all right. Thanks for the call, Andrew. We're going to take a quick break. It's uh, It's been a while since uh, we did that. Uh, and then we'll come back with, uh, we'll get to some calls if we can. But if you're on the line, please stick around. I want to hear from you at 521-TALK, 521-8255. Your thoughts on this debate. The leader of the unofficial opposition, Ryan Lilly, is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Okay, we have time for one quick call. Let's go to uh, Chris. Chris, your thoughts on the debate before we uh, we head to the news break. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I, I'm well. Uh, did anything change in this debate with you? Yes. Um, prior to the debate, I was more leaning towards uh, Mulroney. And uh, after the debate, I, I listened to the whole thing on your show. And Rob Ford, who was, in my opinion, was the, the least of my votes, came up the best. Really? He had he had an, a certain level of authenticity of what Ontario needs, in my opinion. What did you think of Mulrooney? You heard her walk out when she was asked some tough questions about the school system. 
and where her own kids go. She just walked away. Yeah, I, I mean, that that doesn't go well for her. Um, I liked her um, prior to all this. It's just that that wasn't a good thing for her to do. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. It uh, It's not going to play well. So uh, what about Elliot and Granick Allen? Where where would they figure in your rank ballot? Uh, quick answer on that. Uh, both of them, well, towards the end, uh, Elliot became more of a player. But in all honesty, it, to, to me, it seemed just like uh, politician talk. It, it, there was nothing that... Um, that separated one from from another, in in my opinion. All right, thanks for the call, Chris. We Thank will uh, we'll take a quick break. Get to news headlines. We haven't done a newscast in several hours now, but uh, stick around because we'll get to more of your calls at five two one talk five two one eight two five five on the PC Leadership Race. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. You listen to the nurses. You listen to the doctors. It's very simple. Making sure that you listen to the frontline workers will find efficiencies and will deliver better service. Doug Ford reacting to a question about the healthcare system and how you find uh, improvements, how you find efficiencies. He said, listen to the front lines. What were your thoughts on this debate tonight? The person that becomes the next PC leader of Ontario is most likely the next premier of Ontario. So did anyone move up or down in your view in this debate tonight? Let's go to uh, Guy. Been waiting a long time. time Guy, uh, were you out at the debate tonight? Well, I very much enjoyed your show and coverage, Brian. I want to comment uh, on the scrums and that. That was great hearing the live feeds. I think one of your callers really said it best for me that, and I'm going to repeat what he said, that I think Tanya Granick allen um, really changed the dynamic of the debate. And Doug didn't have to do a lot of talking. Doug just basically came out with his, you know, we're going to cut the gravy train, da-da-da-da-da. So I think she has been a very much a surprise for everybody, um, and they and Carolyn and uh, Christine got bookended by Doug and uh, Tanya. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I thought that Tanya was jumping up and down and was lighting the place on fire. She was well, burning she, the house down tonight. She was. She was. But she for good or for bad, she was burning the, the, the place down. Brown. She spent too much time on the Patrick Brown and the corruption and the nominations. She is laser focused, though, Brian. Holy jumping. Incredibly bright. What a, what a brain. So did anyone move up or down? No, with a caveat that, um, you know, I, I think that, that Doug's still got a lot of work to do. Um, I thought Caroline was ahead of Christine. And as I found out from the Main Street poll, she's actually behind Christine. And I think her performance tonight will again show, um, unfortunately, some weakness in her performance. So you, you were not impressed with Caroline Mulroney in the debate? 
I was I was expecting a lot more from Caroline. I'll leave it at that as a gentleman. I think she's gone through a lot of stuff in a very short period of time, and she's just not ready to use an old phrase that uh, was used against the liberals. But uh, yeah, I, I but that guy won. The last person that, that they said they're just not ready. Um, he's prime minister. Uh, well, yeah, I was kind of tongue in cheek, Brian, but you know what I mean there. You know what I mean. But yeah. I just don't think I don't think the walking away was a great thing. But I think that she's just not prepared it's a little bit overwhelming for her and i think it showed tonight you know i look at those debates myself you know i've done them for years as well and from behind the camera and she she's she was definitely her first debate and it showed i'll just be gracious on that but you know talking about talking about doug and i don't think doug should have taken the cheap shot at christine on the uh on the patient ombudsman well i think that that shows that was the one thing i'd I'd say to doug maybe just drop that doug well that they were taking shots at each other to me shows we keep hearing that they're uh you know different campaigns spin different things and they had not taken shots at each other until tonight caroline mulrooney had started taking shots at all the others that would show that perhaps she feels she has ground uh ground to make up Doug and uh, Chris, uh, Doug Ford and Christine Elliott taking shots at each other might imply that they have something that they need to one you know that they're neck and neck maybe it's well, tough you, to tell in these types of races, guy. Well, you indicated that Althea had input on some of the questions, and I thought so, the most poignant question to mm-hmm. Doug Ford was the Me Too hook, which he didn't obviously. Bite oh, on. where he but said, his, "Are you dating someone in your office? Are you crazy?" That was the high point right. of the night for me. I got to run and take got to run and take another that. call. We've clipped almost the whole thing. I I got too many Great calls. I can't get the clips, guy. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Do what you do. Let's go to Cat. Uh, Cat, you're on Beyond the News. Uh, what what happened in your eyes in this debate? Did people go up down? Uh, who won? Who lost? Uh, well, I totally I do believe that Doug absolutely won the debate tonight. Um, I was there in person and. I absolutely was blown away by some of the topics and discussion um, and how it went. Some of the uh, chirps that were taken were absolutely, we were all able to laugh together as a whole party. And that was, those were the moments that people really embraced. Um, I think Tanya absolutely did pull up in my, in my view. Um, She was not on my radar. My Top three were so she wasn't in your radar, three. and no. now she is. Like, is yeah, she, she a number two is. or a number three? Number two or number three? Still debating between Tanya and Christine. Who's going to get that uh, second or third? I was before leaving the debate. I was very uh, much still tied between all three other candidates besides Doug. All three of the women, but after hearing Caroline walking away from those questions and her scrum, like not it wasn't very professional i find to you didn't like her just walk walking away when she was asked about her kid's school absolutely not should have you know at least said i will take other questions on different topics so she cut her scrum short by six minutes yeah all right thanks for the call cat absolutely um just to give you some context on that and then we'll talk to the woman that started the question when we come back from a quick break uh christy cameron's in studio just some context on that question um Every time that Carolyn Mulrooney has been asked about the sex ed curriculum, she says, well, it's working. It's working. And she said that with me on the air last week. And then I started getting messages saying, no, her kids are in private school. They're at Upper Canada College. They don't deal with this. Um, When we come back, we'll ask Christy Cameron her thoughts on the debate overall. But since she kicked it off, since 
She's the troublemaker that asked that question. We'll ask her about that when we come back. I'm Brian Lilly, special edition of Beyond the News. Do you have thoughts on the Ontario PC leadership debate? 521-TALK, 521-8255. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. So I think two of the areas you asked us to point out where we would deal with cutting waste and finding savings, Green Energy Act, I would start with that. We would repeal the Green Energy Act, stop these multi-million dollar fake contracts for value way over the price of the power and what it's worth, and the fact that we're having to pay other jurisdictions to take power off our hands. That would be a great place to start. That could find us a lot of savings. Christine Elliott at the Ontario PC Leadership Debate talking about where she would find savings when it comes to the Green Energy Act. Now, where she may have lost some people, not me, because I tend to agree with her. You can't just rip up contracts. But she was uh, saying that she would not just tear up contracts. Tanya Granick Allen saying, we can just rip them up. We have legislative authority. We can nullify them. That kind of leaves you in a bad spot for getting anyone to supply garbage or anything else to any government in the province of Ontario, and it opens you up to lawsuits. So uh, I also don't like the state having that much power ever for anything. It's the conservative in me. What can I say? A lady that was at the debate joins me in studio now. She's smiling. I called her a lady. She's smiling. No, I'm smiling because we finally got that fire and that excitement, that passion that everybody was hoping for in the first debate. And I, well, it's like the espresso kicked in from three out of the four, I would say. Definitely. Carolyn Mulrooney uh, is someone that I had a lot of hope for at the beginning, but she was, I'm trying to think of a memorable clip. Comatose? From this debate. I, I won't go that far, but I will say. I would. Okay, what, what's the memorable clip? You can think of memorable clips from Christine Elliott. We I've just got did one. that. Okay. I've got one. Um, when she walked away from your question in the scrum? Well, there was that. I was actually thinking about, there was one moment when the entire crowd went, ooh, because she did go after Doug Ford. He had made reference at one point to how corrupt things have become within the party, going after the mm-hmm. PC and, and his, his colleagues for not clamping down on corruption and fake oh, memberships. And, and, and he the, said, I went to one riding and the ballot boxes were getting stuffed. And anyway, when it came back to Caroline Mulrooney later, she said, well, I... I find that a bit disturbing that you didn't say anything about that. But anyway, and the entire crowd. Uh, but then went, Doug came back burn. and said, well, actually, yes, I did. I, I phoned everyone. It. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, in that Chris- moment, Christy she Cameron. did get a little burn in. That was about it. Christy Cameron uh, hosted the news feed reporter here at News Talk 580 CFRA was at the debate all night. So you're taking a sense of the room and you and I were there before the debate started. You stayed. I came back here. Uh, each group had their, each candidate had their own section. Mm-hmm. And so you know that they're all going to cheer for their person. That's what they're there for. Hit the noisemakers, chap, clap, cheer, whatever. Bring the signs. But did you get a sense that people would, from different camps, were warming up to people? Did, were, were some candidates doing better than others? Doug Ford's crowd was loud. 
Yeah. Tanya Granik Allen's crowd was really loud. In fact, I think she got the loudest cheers of anybody when she was going up at the very beginning as she was being introduced by uh, Nippy and Carlton MPP, enthusiastic Lisa McLeod. folks. Loud and enthusiastic. Um, but what I noticed was how quiet the cheers were for Caroline Mulrooney at the end. You know, I was just looking at some of the numbers today, and according to some of the data posted by Elections Ontario, she's raised more than $700,000. Yeah. So she's raking in that money, and she's doing quite well in that sense, but you wouldn't have known it from the sound in the room tonight. At the very end, and you know, I tweeted some of these quotes out, I was live tweeting it a bit, she said, it's time for a new generation to move the party forward. It's time to win. Together, we can finally fire Kathleen Wynne. And she asked the crowd a rhetorical question. Aren't you ready to win? That's red meat for everybody in that room. It doesn't matter if you're a social conservative, you know, if you're in Doug Ford's yeah, he, camp or Christine Elliott. Every single person in that room if wants you're a politician, to get rid of Kathleen Wynne. If you're a politician and asking your people, crickets, crickets aren't you ready to win, they should all be cheering. But my point being, nothing. it was quiet. There was a okay. small smattering of applause, but it was pretty quiet. It was, it was painfully quiet in a way. In terms of the scrum, you asked the question. Um... Very good question about the school system. I mean, she's been up front. She keeps telling every interviewer uh, she doesn't she's the only one that says she won't review the sex ed curriculum at all because it works. Right. But her kids aren't in the public school system, so they may or may not be following it. She was very hesitant to answer that question. My children are in school. She said, my kids are in school. You know, we leave these education choices up to parents. And it's, fair it's, enough. it's a choice for parents in this province, and uh, we made the best choice for our family. Eventually, as she was pressed, okay, but what, did, what does that mean? Does that mean public or private school? It's private school. Which, and then looked which visibly is not uncomfortable a and got kind of rushed out of the room. Okay, so did questions. her staff rush her out? It was, okay, question time is over now. Another colleague, a reporter from the Ottawa Citizen, David Reevely, a columnist, tried to ask a question on a different topic. She looked sort of confused for a moment, returned to the microphone, then looked back at her handlers and politely thanked everyone with a smile once again and left. Wow. So it was a bit confusing. Um, on the sex ed thing, though, I do want to bring up something that um, I thought was interesting was... Elliot today says she believes sex education should be taught in schools, but she agrees that the Wynn government didn't consult enough with parents. What was interesting was that she gave Tanya Granick Allen something that she was looking for. She threw her that bone that she's been begging for, which is that she thinks parents should get a heads up when certain material is being taught in the classroom. And today, which always used to be the case. Today, Elliot agreed with that. Yeah, when you, and so Tanya Granick Allen was quite happy about that. Yeah, she got a win out of that. When you were in school, when I was in school, that was the case. If your parents wanted to pull you out, they could, and now they've made it so that teachers aren't allowed to tell. They're not even allowed to say anything. Mm-hmm. So anyway, interesting debate, interesting times down at the uh, debate. And I thought that tension, that that moment between Ford and Elliot, and it arose, oh, out, the it arose out of the sex education component and that question to Elliot, would you support a heads up for parents? And she said yes. Um, it was interesting because then Ford jumped on that statement and accused her of being a flip-flopper. And he said, people want to know what Christine they're going to get. Are they going to get the Christine that's for sex ed or the Christine that's against sex ed? Are we going 
going to get the Christine who's for carbon pricing or against carbon pricing? Are we going to get the Christine who wants to take down Kathleen Wynne and the government or the Christine who got a job that was $240,000 a year? I'd like that job. She pointed out that she was selected by a panel of people, not cherry-picked by the which premier is, herself. Which is what she told me when I asked her that very question last week. Now, uh, And she keeps giving the same answer, and I'll have to take her at her word. I will point out, though, every time that comes up, Christy, the people that support the other candidates on C- uh, in the CFRA nation, they call, they text, they email that's wrong. So you know, she's not winning over anyone. Maybe I she'll, thought her response maybe was she'll strong, though. keep people on board. And then she said, I was given that job over several hundred people. I'm very proud to have served that job. And I don't have anything to apologize for. So yeah, and, and maybe I, she's not winning people over, but she's she's strong. She's strong. And she really dug in her heels on that. And when I talked to her last week, I asked her about it because I think it gives her a strong insight into the biggest government program in the province of Ontario, health care where the problems are, and where it could be fixed. And uh, so, you know, her insight, Doug Ford saying, listen to the front lines, yeah. those were the two best uh, on, on the healthcare front. Too. I last think, thought, last I thought. I think, just final wrap-up, if you missed the debate tonight, here's what I would say. Tanya Granick-Allen, firecracker, just off on a run every single time that they would let her speak. She was running. Doug Ford definitely won the soundbite war with those zingers, especially that one where he said, you know, I would cap taxes and I would trade Kathleen Wynne. He even got that in even when he was over time. <laughs> Christine Elliott, very strong, showing that she's got a lot of experience and way more passionate than the last debate. Those three of them, it really felt like it was between the three of them. I, I thought it Caroline was a three-way- Mulroney, yeah, it's it, news fest. People are asking me who won, and I'd say it's a three-way debate. And Carolyn Mulroney again surprising me. I expected more. Um, not showing. Not what a she good needs showing. To. Not a good showing, and All and right. seemed very rehearsed. Christy Cameron, thanks so much for being there. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for the chat. Thank you. We'll get back to more of your calls, your thoughts on the debate when we come back. Uh, Dave, Tammy, hey, even Irish Tom's on the line. You know it's going to be entertaining. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Aren't you ready to send Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals packing? We need so much better than the high-spending, high-taxing, job-killing... Carolyn Mulroney in her closing statement. Now, folks have um, been questioning, was it appropriate uh, for, I believe it was David Menzies, who was questioning her about her father and statements her father's made. Carolyn Mulroney keeps bringing up her father. Was it appropriate to ask her about her, where her kids go to school? Every time she's asked about sex ed, Carolyn Mulroney says, the sex ed curriculum works just fine. All right, are your kids in the public school system? Uh, Turns out the answer is no. So what would she know about that? They don't have to follow the same curriculum at all. 
generally speaking, they will to a degree, but they don't have to follow that. Not if your kids are at Upper Canada College. No parent at Upper Canada College is going to put up with their kids being taught what's in that sex ed curriculum that the other three say they will review and repeal parts that are unnecessary or will move them up to higher grades. So for everyone jumping up and down and saying that, you know, these are unfair questions, you bring up your family, your family is fodder for questions. I'm not saying fodder for attack, but they're fodder for questions. She handled the question about her dad absolutely fairly. She just said, I haven't read that letter. I don't know what you're talking about. On where her kids went to school, she froze like a deer in headlights and walked out. If the knock against you is that you're not ready and you do that, well, you're proving your critics correct, aren't you? Let's go to Dave. Dave, thanks for waiting such a long time. Uh, your thoughts on the debate tonight? Totally, Brian. Um, uh, there was two movements in, in my mind. Uh, you're right, uh, Kathleen, uh, uh, Caroline, sorry, Mulroney did move down, in my opinion. Um, she didn't have the, the fire that the others have. Uh, I don't think she'd, she'd be the kind of debater who could maybe stand up to the rigors that Kathleen Wynne is going to put her through. Uh, that's going to be a tough slug for somebody who's not ready for it. Uh, I think she, she'd be far more uh, uh, advised to, to do a couple of terms uh, in, in the House or in the Parliament and, and maybe review her leadership position later on. That's, that's number one. So she was kind of in the top three mix, uh, uh, but uh, she's, she's dropped out of that mix. Uh, the other lady, um, uh, the three names uh, one. Tanya Granikow. <laughs> yeah. She slipped lower, in my opinion, than she already was. I okay, think why? I think she'd be a good member of the, you know, the Rat Pack kind of situation that uh, Sheila Copps and those were, or that uh, John Crosby was for the PCs. She'd be that kind of a good person, but I don't think that kind of is the, what you want as a leader. Uh, I think she was far too much. No, tear it up, tear it up, tear down those power, those uh, windmills. Do this, do that. Hey, lady, step back and think of what you're saying. There may be consequences. Oh no! You yeah, know, well, yeah. look, I, 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 I know. Well, I know all. Okay, I know two of you the know, candidates like personally, but I know I know Tanya personally. I like her, but I completely disagree with her on that. As I disagree with many of the the regular listeners and callers to this mm-hmm. station and this show, you can't just rip up the contracts. And no. if you just want to say, well, we can have legislative supremacy, I'm sorry, but I I don't want a government that feels that it can undo any contract that they feel like that was legally and faithfully entered into because if that's the power you're willing to give government then you don't believe in a smaller government that's the biggest knock but that's part of the the bigger picture that i think about her as an say a person past the ammunition kind of an attitude and that's not who i want at the top fair enough so Uh, who comes out on top for you then it's it's still a toss-up between ford and uh and and, and uh, Elliot and for each each for their own reason. Uh, you know, Doug's a fighter and he's going to stand up. He's going to clean house. He's going to get the value for money. He's going to apply good business practices. And he's running a successful business on both sides of the border. He must know what he's doing. I, well, I, I think that speaks well to him. Yeah. And and for Kathleen, I'm not Kathleen. I'm sorry for. Uh, uh, hey, stop Christina. calling every woman in this race Kathleen, Dave. For Christine Elliott, uh, <laughs> the, just that other name has been 
emblazoned, branded on our foreheads for so many years. But for Christine Elliott, um, she's got the finesse, the, the experience in. They, they've both got very good strengths. And it's, it's a matter to decide now which one is going to be the most important in a leader uh, at the end of the day or most important or effective in a campaign. And these are the two things we've got to tease out between those first two first runners, in my opinion. You know, what I, what I would say is that you want all of them in a cabinet if they're able to form government. Uh, or, or at least all playing different roles. Yeah, they, 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 they each bring different strengths. Yeah. And, and I, I really do think that had Caroline Mulroney been able to follow her original plan and go into the legislature get some political experience. That would have been ideal. And then run later on, she would be knocking the socks off now, of the us. Now, the only way I'll come to her defense tonight is that uh, we didn't hear the question was put by the CBC, by, by the CTV, by uh, the uh, 580, uh, by by her, that the, the sound was sort of was out, and we didn't hear the question. Okay, so the question was to I, the... I got it just of what it was, but uh, the other one was, you know... Ian Menzies sort of tried to double down on the father question. Like he asked it two or three times. And I think that either Carolyn or maybe her handlers, and, and again, by not seeing it on TV, we, we weren't sure. Did she give up on it? Did her handlers kind of call her back? And she was like, you know, what do I do? People are asking me when they want to talk to me. The guy's calling me off the stage. What do, I, what do I do? And so in her defense, I'll say, but I think it was kind of either her or the handlers or both got the idea that they weren't asking her questions on policy like they were asking the other three candidates. Uh, they I- I think Christie's question. I think Christie's question about where do your kids go to school is a completely fine policy question when you're passing judgment on the curriculum. She can pass judgment and look a single person because can... she, but, but 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 no, she says she references her children when she passes judgment on the curriculum, and she says, "Well, my kids are in school and it's working fine." I don't have okay, any well, what's, Can I have an opinion? Yeah, absolutely you can. But don't don't say to me, my kids are in school and as a mother, I think it's working fine. Okay, well, where do your kids go to school? Well, you know, school if, if, if I said, uh, you know, my kids are in school and the public system's just great. You might say to me, Dave, you might say, are your kids in the public school system? Oh, no, they're in the Catholic school system. Well, what the heck do you know about the public school system? Well, I think the Catholic schools have to follow the same curriculum. Yeah, they, the they do. Schools, yeah. They do, but they, the they, private, they don't, they don't the private schools do not. Yeah, they don't get right. the same free ticket. But that's that's where I ranked them in my reasons anyway. Okay, let's go to uh, Tammy calling in from uh, Newington. Metropolitan Newington, Tammy. <laughs> right along the St. Lawrence Seaway, in case you didn't know there, Brian. I know where Newington is. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for taking my call. Where um, where where do they rank for you? Did anyone move up or down? Well, yeah, I would say maybe. Um, I when I watched on TVO the debate, I was really impressed with Tanya Granick Allen. Uh, even then, I, actually, I thought all of them were pretty good. But I, I had Doug Ford first and Tanya second. And watching her tonight, and with what that woman had to say, and as strong as she said it, and as honest and passionate as she is, she reminds me a bit of myself. I honestly think I'm going to possibly put her first and Doug Ford second. Wow. So, yeah, I've moved her up a notch. And the I, reason is, like, I, I just heard your discussion with the last caller, and you weren't impressed over the Green Energy uh, Act, like discussing the ripping out the turbine thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, I mean, she's only new, so she's passionate about saying that the Green Energy Act is just a farce. 
she understands all that. So that woman will learn the minute she's in there, and she will give it the fight. And that's the kind of person you need. And, and you know what? And I believe that uh, the Doug Ford and Christine Elliott have that same fight in saying, we will go in and we'll look at the contracts and we'll pull out of what we can. And yep. that, that's, that's what we need a politician to do. But I don't believe in giving the government, any government, the power to say, this contract can stay, but that one we don't like, it has to go. Well, uh, that's that's an awful lot of power for any government. Right, but I, I think that, again, she's going to learn, and that's all part of it, and I think she's an intelligent woman. That really she showed that. She absolutely tonight. is. I've known her for years. She's uh, oh, sm- my word. And, smart and as a whip. Don't get hit by her. And very well-spoken, like very well-spoken, stayed on point, uh, brought up all the very factual uh, in, in as much as what... She knew about that party, which is exactly what I've been saying about that party for a long, long time now, that why they never called out Patrick Brown a long time ago. And she sure put Mulrooney in her place regarding the fact that Mulrooney kind of, what, she was, she was working with Brown for a long time. And she called her out on that and said, you know what, here you are, his best friend. And where were you when you saw this happening and you still let it happen? And this is what bothers me about politics, is that you need those people like Tanya, because God bless her, she's calling it as it is, and it needed to be called on a long time ago. That's my well, opinion. I was calling it the way she was on the Ottawa West Nepean uh, thing quite a while ago, and, uh, and, and Tanya was calling it on Southern Ontario ridings. Um, and a lo- an awful lot of people in the PC party didn't want to hear it. Now they have to deal with it. Exactly, and that's why I have to place her first because of that, Brian. It takes a strong woman, a fighter, and sometimes you need those people so that yeah. the sheep don't and, keep following, you know? And, and Doug Doug was on it earlier. Um, Carolyn Mulroney saying, well, it's shocking that you saw that and didn't do anything, and I thought, you don't know Doug Ford. Because I know that Doug was calling about the Scarborough by, uh, uh, nomination meeting, saying you can't let this stand, and and she tried to get a cheap shot in. I think that backfired on her. Well, and did you actually hear Doug uh, when Tanya was coming out uh, and calling uh, Mulroney out on it? Doug even was agreeing with her. He was going, "That's right, Tanya. That's right." Yeah. So I. That's why I'm so close with both of them. But man, am I impressed with that, Tanya. All we right. need those kind of leaders. Thanks for the call. Let's go to, uh, I- before we take a break, we'll go to Irish Tom. Hi, Brian. Just wind you up and let you go, Tom. You must be fit to be tied tonight. Oh, I'm telling you, I like that woman. A lot of fire in her belly. That's Ta- what we need. Tanya Granick Allen? Yeah, that's what I told Rob. Everybody was all, they were all talking about this Caroline before this. Oh, she's going to do it. She's, this, she's a snob. She's a downright snob. And I'm telling you, this woman, Alan, is my boy. Not a fire in her belly. And Doug Ford is the next one. And these are two. The other two, forget. And it has got nothing to do who's going to run the province whether it's a man or a woman. we got a woman running the province now, and she's no damn good. So that, that's us. Woman, man or woman. Forget that. But she's the one. Number one, Alan. Second, Doug Ford. I'm telling you, and she's a real snob. Just for, I'm tell, I told people this before, before this happened, about Maroney. Like, like father, like daughter. Where do you put Christine Elliott? On top. Uh, is Christine Elliott? I thought you said Tanya no, no, Granik. No, no, she's not in there at all. Christine Elliott's at Christine Elliott and uh, Caroline, uh, what's her name? They're out. They're, I crossed them off my list. Them two are right. out. 
Well, you, you, you only have to vote for as many as you want. You can vote for one or vote for all four. I'd vote for, I, I just, I, I'm picking two. All right. Thanks for the call, Tom. And I, I tell you, go, 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 Miss Allen. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Uh, back with uh, more of your calls. We'll try and get to everybody as soon as we can uh, and, uh, and wrap up the show that way. Uh, I'm Brian Lilly. This is a special edition of Beyond the News with the Ontario PC Leadership Race. You can listen to V-Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We'll try and get to everyone's calls as quick as we can. Norma in Orleans, uh, what were your thoughts on the debate? Did anyone move up or down? Um, well, I actually, Carol Maroney uh, went to the bottom um, in my list. Wait, uh, had she been higher up? Yes, I, I actually, it was a choice for me between uh, Carolyn and Christian Elliott, and Carolyn went way down. Doug Ford did very well. Uh, Tonya is wonderful, but I don't think that she will in the hearts and minds of people of Ontario, you know, unfortunately. But a good, you know, like I was saying to Dave, uh, you want all these people around on your team. They all bring something. Absolutely. Yeah, um, uh, Karen Maroney, I, I just, uh, she was my first pick from way back when, but I've actually gone back to Christine Elliott. So you're Christine Elliott, and then you'd go, what, Doug Ford second? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't know. It's so you don't, hard yeah. To I mean, you only have to pick one. You can rank all four, but you only have to pick one. Well, Christine would be my first pick. Absolutely. All right. um, and the other thing is, no, it's just, it, 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 having listened, uh, as I said, uh, uh, Carolyn was a very big disappointment, very much so. And uh, hopefully she'll do better. I hope she wins her seat. You know, I, I hope she wins her seat and I hope she gets some experience because I, I truly think she has a lot to offer. Oh, me too, as well. And the other thing is, yeah, uh, Tonya, I'm not sure, uh, is she... Ton, is she ever going to run for a seat? Yeah, no, she she says she will. They all say that they will win, uh, run even if they do not win. So, uh, But I think the riding that she lives in may be spoken for already. So she okay. may have to run well, in a I in hope a, you don't mind me calling it just as to say, it just, this, this just, uh, it, it really is, uh, it's been a, a terrible uh, comedy of errors between, you know, um, our former uh, leader of the Conservatives here in Ontario and mm-hmm. whatever it is, but I'm just hoping they'll all well, uh, sort of survive above all that. I, I think they will. I think I think they're going to come out just fine with any of these four leading the party. Thanks for the call, Norma. Thanks. All right. Uh, let's go to Greg in Osgood. Greg, your thoughts. How did the debate go for you? Who went up? Who went down? Oh, uh, definitely I was there at the debate. Okay. And, uh, Tanya dropped right off my scale completely. Okay. Why? Uh, basically, do they not have the idea that we have 100 days to beat Kathleen Wynne? And it's not the time to tear our old stuff up and start floating it out 100 days before an election. Now, I understand there's a point for it and everything like that, but she always dragged Patrick Brown into it. They dealt with it on the first question. I felt that was enough. She's not interested in beating Catherine Wynn. 
she's interested in beating uh, Mr. Brown to death. I who, don't who, see how she's going to bring any unity. Okay, so who, who, who did you go in with at the top of your ballot, and where are they now? Well, I sat in the undecided section. <laughs> okay. Right? There was a fourth section there, the undecided, or fifth section was undecided. Um, definitely Carolyn Maroney did not do as well as I thought she should do. Okay. A little more experience. And? Uh, to see Doug and Christine for the first time, I still haven't made my decision. But uh, definitely Tanya Allen is... She's off for you. Okay, got to run. And, uh, Stephen, do I have time for one more quick call with Taz? Okay, Taz, uh, you got a minute. Go. Yes. Um, I have to say that I thought Elliot did uh, poorly. Uh, I thought I had her up, but she went down. Uh, same thing with Mulroney. Um I thought that almost everybody had no fire in the belly, including Ford. Hardly any fire in the belly except for that other woman who I can't even mention her name or can't remember her name. Tanya Granik Allen. Yeah, I, I, I thought that they did, except for Mulroney. I thought it was a three-way debate between uh, Granik Allen, Ford, and Elliot. Well, you know, you know what? I, I, the only 15 minutes, and it is a snapshot of what I saw, and then I went to re, uh, listen to the rest on the radio, is probably what everybody had in mind. And from those 15, 20 minutes of a snapshot, I, I, she came in throwing punches. She came in there uh, and fire, and everybody else was, you know, just a little monotone, including Elliot and, and, and Ford, although they did kind of pick up their game. I think that Ford picked up the game, and he was very smart, and he distanced himself when he had all those other two or three getting, their, getting each other clobbers in the head. So I think Ford played it very smart, but again, he was very conservative uh, and very reserved, although I do think he came in second for me. Uh, third was definitely Elliot uh, and uh, Mulroney Wells. I think that uh, ends the question there. She just went down the sewer. So Yeah. All right. Thanks for the call, Taz. Always no great problem. to hear from you. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Thanks to everyone that called in. Thanks to everyone for participating. Special thanks to Stephen Ellsworth, Cassie Elward, Christy Cameron for helping me out tonight, getting clips, providing analysis, getting sound ready. Uh, as always, remember, I'm on your side.